Hello to the show. My guest today is Jason Olson. Jason works for the City of Edmonton in Data Utility. In this episode, we discuss what he is, and also we discuss the importance of mental health. Thank you, everyone, and welcome to the show. Jason, how's it going, brother? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Thanks doing, for having me. Oh, thanks, thanks for coming with uh, nice coffee. I love coffee. <laughs> Dude, it's my life. But yeah. All the serious that I drink way too much coffee. Like, I think um, every now and then I'll have a glass of water and the kidneys won't, uh, won't know what to do with it. So, so you live off coffee. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. And do you have, uh, are you like a coffee aficionado? I think that's proper, right? Aficionado. Aficionado. Um, enthusiast where you're like... No, man, I'm a simple guy. Simple guy. You're soft as taste. Pretty good. You will, you will down it? I'll, I'll down it. <laughs> we're, we're talking McDonald's, talking Timmy's. I don't like paying more than a couple bucks for a coffee, man. Otherwise, I feel, uh, feel like I'm getting ripped off. So. Oh, for sure. I think Starbucks is a little bit outrageous. Yeah, five bucks. Dude. Five bucks. I know. I know. We went, um, my friend and I went for pumpkin spice lattes. We, we have like one a year. I let myself have one a year. And uh, so we go up to the window and, and she, she's like 13 bucks. And like, <laughs> I ordered two, not like five. Yeah. Right? Like, it was just nuts. So, crazy. I'm the same way Starbucks. Sorry, guys. I'm smoking a little duper. So, <laughs> I'm not COVID. So, I just want to put it out there since you know, can see this visually right now. But uh, I'm the same way. I, I think McDonald's, personally, is uh, the best bang for your buck. Because uh, you and I drink, uh, you do air put stuff in your coffee, or it's mostly bang. I'm straight black. Yeah. So, I find McDonald's is the one of the best bang for your buck in regards to how it tastes. Oh, and the price and Timmy's, unfortunately, is shit in the bed. It's horrible, man. Even other donuts, I think McDonald's is like catching up with their, with their like bagels and their muffins, and now they have little donuts. So it's like, yes, yeah. Timmy's gonna do, right? I know, I know. I actually tried McDonald's donuts for the first time like a week ago, and they weren't bad. They weren't bad at all. Yeah. So McDonald's is like basically putting a big flex out there in the fast food, and well, don't you feel like anti-Canadian for saying that though? Yes, like, you know, like I want to support Timmy's, but at the same time, like I don't want to have a shitty cup of coffee. Yeah, that's true. And I, true. I enjoy my coffee, and like if I, if someone's going to Timmy's, I'm with them. I'm not gonna say no. And of course not. So, but I, if I have my choice, it's McDonald's. Better bang for my opinion, bang for your buck. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Other than that, I, I buy um, whole beans usually, and I grind them, and nice. I use a French press. So, oh, there you go. Yeah, so that's awesome. So I enjoy the French press. It's a bit more, I guess. Um, it's not like a cure where you're eating coffee in 30 seconds, but yeah. I'll say like 10 minute process yeah. every morning, yeah. but that's something I enjoy. It makes me kind of feel relaxed. Oh, for sure. And it's a good start to my day. Well, and then when you get the, the ground beans, like when you grab them from, from the whole bean, you're getting so much more flavor and the aroma and everything. I think it just like adds to the whole experience of, of having more of a coffee, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think, uh, do you know black rice for coffee? Yeah, I do actually. You kind of know the yeah. story of all that? No, I don't. It was like, I don't know the details, but it's basically a, a military veteran, person in the military, slot his coffee, and he would like bring like apparatuses and all this crap overseas with them and take like half an hour to make one cup of coffee, just like loved coffee. And yeah. then 
And then, uh, yeah, got basically the army started, uh, black rifle, uh, black rifle coffee. And now I think if you buy a bag, like either percentage every sale goes to like first responders, so police, paramedics, firefighters, military. And he just had a passion for coffee and just take it off. So that's amazing. Yeah. You know, I actually have a funny story about that. I, uh, I was taking a girl out on a date one time and, um, you know, we were just going to go for coffee. It was the first date. Right. And so I didn't want to be like just the typical, okay, we'll go to Starbucks in the cafe and, and have a coffee. I'm like, it would be nice to find like a local place. So she lived way out in the North end. Um, at the time, like, it was far north as you can go. And so I was looking for coffee places around where she lived and I saw this black rifle coffee pop up. Like, okay, we'll go there. So pick her up and we're driving to, to Black Rifle Coffee and we get to the parking lot and it's in like this huge commercial complex and it looked like like a lot of warehouses and stuff like that. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, I mean, yeah. what a weird spot for a coffee shop. And we walk in and there's like, um, like a, a, a kind of a, a desk at the front and then they sold a little bit of product, but they didn't sell their coffee. And so we're, we're both standing there and kind of, it was, you know, the kind of the awkward, you know, first date glances, yeah. right? So I was like, crap, like I messed this up big time. I know, okay. Well, uh, and of course we ended up at Starbucks after too. So yeah, yeah but I've, I've never actually had black rifle coffee though, but I like the, I like the story man. Very cool to try it. Yeah. Did you, uh, have a second date after that? Uh, yeah, but that's as far as it got. So yeah, I, I just wouldn't, no connection. <laughs> no, you know what? It was, it was, it was a good connection. I think I just, uh, she's just like, uh, you know, instead of a bit of a loser, it's going to overtake me. Like, wow, yeah. <laughs> so no, it was, she, she was a really sweet girl. Though. Yeah. It's all yeah. good. Yeah. That yeah. happens. But yeah, I made, made a whole bunch of date blunders. Like one, uh, I mentioned this before, but it was like in a relationship. But I don't take, I guess I'm a very literal, literal person. Mm-hmm. Like just the other day, my friend's meticulous in his kitchen. Like he likes to be the guy who cooks. Yeah. Fair enough. Your house, your grill. But he, he was busy when I came over. He's like, Hey, you're going to cook the burgers tonight. And are the frozen burgers that I, I'm like literal. So I read instructions. Okay, yeah. X amount of minutes per side. This temperature. Okay. Follow the instructions and they're look cooked, but they're still a bit mushy. <laughs> <laughs> so I missed the mark on that one, but yeah, so like on a deal with a girl, she uh go we went to the movies like wanna get anything and she said no, so I'm like, hey, small popcorn, we even drink. She's like, she yeah. didn't want anything. And then during the film, she goes to reach for popcorn, I'm like no, like <laughs> Back Yeah, like you said yeah. you didn't want anything, right? So like yeah, in my exactly. mind, like so now I know like you should get like a medium to a large, because if she wants some, she'll have some, so it's that whole extra fries debate, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there are some restaurants where it's you think you can like you either a girlfriend combo it or something yeah, like that. Hungry. Yeah. Yeah. You, um, it's like an order and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Which exactly. I'm like, that exactly. is smart. Yeah. Are you like they like like way against people touching your food? Because for me that's a big thing. Like, I don't mind, but it's like as long as you ask, like, yeah, like hey, do you mind if I want can I have someone say yes? They go for like people who are like, ooh, like and then they go for I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Cause like I'm I'm half Lebanese, right? So yeah. that Lebanese side of me is like just stay away from my food, right? Like don't touch anything. This is mine. Like I'm very defensive about what's uh, about my food. Yeah, yeah. So is that like a Lebanese culture? Thing? I think so, yeah. Yeah, we're big on food. Everything revolves around food now. Everything revolves around food. I think yeah. I feel like that's most I think Eastern Europe. Kind of Middle yes. East cultures, a lot of food, yes. based, everyone, and then it's like an important part of the day where you spend hours is for dinner. Italy, it's like, yeah, you're your appetizer and then your pre-dinner meal and then your pasta right, and then your after dinner and then 
a bottle of wine for just three hour meal. Yeah. Big deal with family. Yeah. Spain's like that. Portugal's like that, man. There's a lot of European countries where it's just like, it's, it's, it's an experience. Food's an experience. And, um, I lived in Vienna for, for four and a half months and it wasn't as big there. But one thing I noticed is like when you go out to eat, the servers don't come to check up on you at all. Right. Like you would go out to eat and, you know, you get your drinks and stuff like that. And then you're kind of sitting there waiting, 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 and nobody's coming to take your order. And you have to flag them down and yeah. actually tell them to like come over to the table and just say things like, you know, okay, now we're ready to, to order an appetizer. Now we're ready to order an entree. Or, um, it's very much like the consumer kind of drives that whole process right behind here. You go out to eat and it's like the second you sit down and take your drink order, drinks come to you, they put the drinks down and then it's like you're taking your food order and it's all about turnover, right? Because they want you to, yeah, they want you to, they want you drinking, they want you eating, they want you to pay the bill and they want you out. Like they don't want you to cap at the table or anything like that, right? But I feel like in, in Europe, like a lot of the experience was um, like dinner was an event. You go out for drinks, it's like two, three, four hours. And it's all about the company, you know, the conversation. And I liked it, man. Like it just seems, it seems like, I don't know, like just kind of slowed down a little bit. I mean, there wasn't, there, you never seemed like you were in a rush. It was, it was a very neat experience for sure. Yeah. I think that's something that is slightly missing in just the North American culture. And there are some places where it's like, especially like it's probably more of the fine dining where you know you're going to be there for a couple of hours. Yeah. But yeah. still, you kind of feel almost guilty too when you, it's busy. Sometimes it's like fight night. And you want to be there, but then you go there. There's a huge lineup. You don't want to feel bad. Right. Sometimes even the waiter gets pissed because they're like, you're there for three hours. You want to be like, oh, I'm good. Right. Just the water. Right. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> but I think Starbucks has done a good job bringing the European kind of coffee culture where you come in, you sit down. It's not a rush. Yeah. But uh, we're still kind of changing too. Now it's like a work zone too now. So it's still not there. Right. relaxing place. But uh, enough uh, but. Let's talk about you though for a bit. Um, what sure. do you currently do, Jason? What's uh, what's your story? Where are you from? Uh so born and raised in Edmonton. Oh, yeah, yes, yes sir, man. I, uh, you know, I think we all go through a period with with the city where it's a love hate relationship. But um, as I've gotten older, I definitely uh, loved Edmonton more and more every year, and, and I'm very thankful to live here and to have grown up here. And I, it's it's a great city. It's getting know? better. It is. It really is, man. Like I think with all the development that's going on downtown right now, and um, it's. It's just like, I think a lot of Edmontonians are starting to like see the beauty of the city instead of trashing it all the time, right? Like, I mean, we have so much to do here. There's so many beautiful things to see, lots to do, like, especially in the summer now. The summer months are amazing. So. 100%, 100%, yeah. And then I'm born and raised as well. And yeah, I think at first I could see why Edmonton wasn't uh, the best place, I think, before. It's almost like the pit stop before Fort Murray, so it's yeah, like, right. like more like kind of the north capital of Alberta here. And, both the capital of Alberta, but I think over time we have done a good job of, you know, especially downtown and things like 101st down, bringing like the craft farther down there. So bring yeah. some more, more entertainment areas, people can kind of hang out, socialize. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it is even better and we definitely need some improvement, but I don't think we're going to be like a Toronto where it's going to be the best theaters ever. Like, yeah, there. but yeah, I think sure. what we have, I think it's pretty good. There's a bit of theater. Um, we got a couple of rec places where you can go hang out, play video games. Yeah. So I think we have a good mixture of everything. We do have a good mixture of everything. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I was born and raised here and, uh, you know, I went to school here. Um, you know, all my family, I'm kind of second or I guess, yeah, second generation, third generation Edmontonian. 
So um, on my mom's side, like my family immigrated from from Lebanon back in the fifties and uh, settled down here in Edmonton. And um, yeah, so we did my schooling here, and I actually work for the city right now too. Uh, so I'm a data analyst with the city. And uh, yeah, it's you know nothing but good things to say about working for the city too, man. It's it's pretty low stress. I have a great boss, uh, fantastic coworkers. Um, Things are getting a little bit busy now because a lot of people went on. Uh, unfortunately, we had some temporary layoffs in our group, so work just kind of gets distributed again throughout uh, throughout the people that are left. But yeah, man, it's just like with everything going on now in the world, I'm so thankful for not just having a job, but then having a job at uh, local government as well. Because just the security and uh, I mean, they're not asking us to take pay cuts. They're not really like they're going through a lot of layoffs, but. Um, you know, because we're working more on the utility side of the business or the utility side of the uh, city operations, um, our jobs are relatively safe. So yeah, definitely like just very, very, very thankful right now for where I'm at. So you say you do data utility or? Uh, so it's, it's like a data uh, analyst position, I guess. My, my technical title is energy management reporting analyst. So basically what we Sounds do. Sounds fancy. Uh, it's not. <laughs> it's not. Trust me. Trust me. It's. Uh, basically, so for the city's portfolio of real estate, and we actually have a huge portfolio of real estate throughout uh, the city of Edmonton, but um, all of these buildings will have uh, obviously electricity, natural gas, and water contracts with the retailers throughout the province. And so we manage a lot of the data that comes in from uh, uh, from like the, the water meters and the gas meters and the electricity meters. And then we basically help out other city departments with um, analyzing that data and trying to find efficiencies and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's it's. I probably just lost half your life. So I was like, hey, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> stop this podcast, man. <laughs> Next one. But, yeah, so, uh, so basically, you just track um, the energy usage of uh, property the city owns, and then you yeah. can see who's uh, maybe using too much. Exactly. Why? Maybe why is this particular business? It seems like it's probably not using a lot of energy. Yeah. Seeing where, where I guess we can streamline a process where it's um, more efficient. Forever. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's that's one hundred percent. And you guys deal with the I guess like Wi-Fi as well. You said no Wi-Fi, no telecom. It's strictly uh, utilities. So uh, power gassing basically. And I guess with the utilities, um, do you, would you see any changes happening? Maybe in the near future, maybe going more I guess green or more environmental. Or yes. These, do is there like a push for the city or are they trying like trying to do that? Oh, huge push, man. Like there's um so we're we're entering into something called measuring and verification of greenhouse gas emissions. And so basically what we're trying to do is track um how much uh like uh what greenhouse gases that a building emits um in any given period. And then we're trying to install things like uh better lighting, better windows, like combined heat and power units, and just trying to basically um reduce the overall carbon footprint of the building. And then uh if we're able to do that, then we're gonna try to monetize on those savings and reinvest that into more energy efficiency projects. So yeah, there's a huge push in the city right now to reduce the overall carbon footprint to the city's portfolio. And um yeah, like so it's pretty new. I'm being pulled into a little bit of that right now with the city. Which is cool stuff. Yeah, I don't have a background in environmental technologies or anything like that, but uh, I'm definitely looking forward to getting um, kind of my hands dirty on that side of the city operations as well. So, well, it seems like it's the next uh, growing field. It's um, because I think we're still going to be using fossil fuels for a while. Um, mm-hmm. but I think obviously we're trying to like have less uh, 
negative impact on the earth. So yeah. So obviously there's gonna be more jobs created eventually. And do you know um, kind of where we rank among the Canadian cities at all yet? Or? I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, it, it would be really tough to say because every city's portfolio of real estate is just so different, right? Well, I imagine so, Toronto was the dense yes. population. They probably, like, just by population, not people proportionally more, but percentage-wise, who knows? Yeah. And, and I mean, the thing is, too, you have to look at the grid, right? And so where do you, where does the, uh, like, where, where do we generate our electricity from? In Alberta, um, we're about 60% uh, coal and natural gas, and the rest is all renewables. So obviously, like, uh, we have a little bit of solar, but uh, wind and biomass and geothermal are kind of like the other areas of generation that you can get the power from. But if you look at a place like Quebec or Ontario, they have a ton of hydro. And hydro is probably the best in terms of uh, efficiencies for renewable generation. Because well, they're right next to huge lakes. Right, exactly. Yeah, and we just, we don't have that. Like, I mean, no. we're, we're isolated, right? Like, we've got the North Saskatchewan River, but you can't use that for power generation. No. So, um, unfortunately, for baseline power, we have to rely a lot on natural gas and coal. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we're transitioning away from coal, but then, you know, you still need baseline. So, when I say baseline, it's just basically, like, um, the minimum amount uh, you need to meet the demand for on the electrical grid at any given time. And so, for Alberta, that's about 10,000 uh, megawatts uh, at any given point. And so, um, to give you a sense, like, with a solar panel that operates... At about roughly 30, 33% capacity, we would have to install 30,000 megawatts worth of uh, solar capacity to meet our baseline uh, demand. Where, as you know, if you get like a combined cycle uh, massive natural gas facility, then you know you could have 11,000 megawatts worth of capacity and generate 10,000 megawatt hours worth of power in any given hour interval. So um, the capacity factor is a lot higher, and so the returns on are obviously a lot better for natural gas and coal. Um, so it's just, you know, unfortunate that. Which is good for the economy, which is kind of hard, or probably why people who are maybe profiting off the natural gas and yeah. coal don't want to shift away because. Exactly. And, and I think too, sometimes, especially in Edmonton, um, well, half our base, I think it's like eight months out of the year or six months out of the year is winter. Yeah. And yeah. I think our, sometimes our sun is touching go because it's either cloudy or it's raining and. So I think a problem I, I can see happening, why it's uh, maybe, for I guess maybe Alberta, uh, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, kind of the prairie provinces, but yes. we don't have any kind of um, um, water next to us. It's that sometimes the weather, especially in Canada, it's not as, uh, it's not like California where you know you're going to have sun for the next like, so entire year, right? So it's like yeah. touch and go. So again, it's going back to trying to create a process and probably a lot of experimenting. Maybe a combination of hot, maybe not hydro, maybe uh, solar and wind. Yeah. At certain times, potentially. Well, that's just it. And part of the problem is, well, what you do when the sun not shining and the wind's not blowing, right? And I mean, we don't have, unfortunately, the battery capacity right now to um, store the amount of energy that we need to power our electrical grid when you don't have the sun shining and the wind blowing, right? It's just, it's uh, it's too much of a challenge right now to be able to, to service the grid in the way that it would need to be, unless you want your lights to, you know, you flick your switch and the light doesn't come on. Um, you need to have some form of hydrocarbon uh, generation. I think that's just, unfortunately, the reality that uh, we're at in Alberta right now. And as the technology improves, efficiencies improve in wind and power, uh, wind and solar generation, 
um, you know, that will change. And as battery capacity becomes better, that will, that will change the nature of the game as well. But I think we're still like, you know, uh, decades away from that, not years. Um, yeah. So yeah, it'll, it'll take a while still. So. They go, we need Elon Musk to be able to. I was just going to bring him up. <laughs> I was just going to bring him up. Yeah. But he's on, he's doing, I don't know how he's doing. Have what, like a rocket company, SpaceX, and oh, also, also do Tesla, and then yeah. on, a, on a side, he creates not a flamethrower, yeah, just for fun, and yeah, sleeping at the warehouse. Yeah, he's and crazy, and then I think uh, he's recently given away all his possessions. I heard, I heard because, that because yeah. uh, he didn't want because of what the current uh, political climate, yeah, he didn't want to be attacked for having just a lot, and then I think he moved to Texas. Okay. Yeah, it's they're doing their, their whole gigafactory there. Yeah, because California, I think, just went on another lockdown. And plus, I think that taxes, I think it's property tax or tax, like in Texas, like zero. Okay. California is like 17% or something. Okay. So, okay. business wise. And, but yeah, like his Tesla batteries, like they, for driving a motor vehicle, I think they could definitely be used for, for environment, like for, uh, just like battery powered homes and yeah, I think that's part of his vision for for Tesla, man. Because Tesla actually bought up uh, Solar City as well. And I can't remember what year they bought Solar City, but that company was run by it was either Musk's uncle or cousin or something like that. They started Solar City and then and then Tesla Tesla bought them out. And so yeah, I think that's one of their goals is just to advance battery technology to the point where you could go like a thousand miles on a single charge in your car, or you could power your home, uh, just with solar panels on your roof because your battery in your house is able to like store enough for, for those days where it's cloudy or whatever. Right. So yeah, it's crazy. Man. His vision is unbelievable. Yeah. Well, thank God we need and And I guess thank goodness for countries like, um, United States and Canada, mm-hmm. obviously despite the, the negative things that we're going through currently, but just, I think they're good, good countries that allow more people, I guess, uh, a slice of the pie, so to speak. Right. They can yeah. come, take a chance on starting a business that may or may not work. Mm-hmm. And I mean, thank God that he was able to do that. Where certain countries, I think, I think it's more Eastern Europe where the governments are, I guess, more involved in businesses. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. But I think that it's great. And, yeah, did you hear about Neuralink at all? <laughs> yeah, Neuralink freaks me out, man. Yeah. Oh, it freaks me out. They said we're five years with us. But, um, yeah. Things. I would. Ne- I don't care what the technology is, man. I would never have anything implanted in my head at all. I mean, unless, like, you know, God forbid, you know, 50 years down the road, I have early onset Alzheimer's or something yeah. like that, and they could cure that with, like, a brain implant, then maybe I'd consider it. But... Just so I can Google something in my head, you know, like it, I, I don't know, man. Somebody would hack me and like I would be <laughs> under the influence of oh, someone else. And, yeah, I never yeah. thought of it. Yeah, what about hackers? And all yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's crazy, dude. Like, yeah, Neuralink is. It's a company I followed not too closely, but I, I always keep an eye out for it in the news cycle because I'm curious. I, I just want to see what he's able to pull off with that technology. Well, I think you said eventually uh, we'll get to a point that if everyone has um, Neuralink, that we, we won't be able to talk, won't have to talk anymore. No, that's crazy. Because we build that percentage each other telepathically and understand what everyone thinks. So there won't be no, like, uh, basically, we'll be guessing on people's intent. Oh, jeez. But yeah, eventually we'll be non speaking 
everyone geniuses source. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, we'll have to podcast in between that. Oh, no. Uh, this is the other, this will disappear. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <That would suck. laughs> yeah, no, it's something that uh, I'm sure you heard on Joe Rogan's podcast, but like, if you're a conspiracy theorist and you kind of look at the evolution of humans, yeah. Earlier on, we were obviously shorter, a bit thicker, stockier, right. hairier, right? Because we had to hunt and kill. But then, also now, eventually, we're kind of less hairy, more kind of elongated, like less muscular, so to speak, comparatively. Right. And eventually, we'll be able to speak. And that's almost like a depiction of aliens or yeah. slender characters that don't speak. Yeah. are super intelligent. Yeah. So maybe we're going to be future aliens. Yeah, who knows? Who knows, man? I mean, we're alien to somebody, right? If there's, if there's life out there, and technically we are aliens. So, yeah, it's crazy. I just hope, like, I live long enough to see where society goes. Like, I think if I have yeah, option, Do you think it's going to be, like, almost like either a Terminator or a... Have you ever seen a Ready Player One? Yeah, yeah. Do you think, so it's, do you, do you think it's, it's... We're going that direction? Or do you have hope? Or do you think we're going to have more checks and balances along the way? It's so hard to say. Like, I, I, I don't know what direction society is ultimately going to head because I think so much is going to change in the next five years, in the next 10 years, 15 years that we can't even comprehend right now because the technology doesn't exist, mm -hmm. right? Like if you go back to say 1995 and you told somebody that um, in 15 years, they're going to have a device in their pocket that allows them to access like all information. Super computer. Yeah. Every, all information. Recording device. Everything. Everything, everything. Like in 15 years. I mean, I don't, I don't think even the smartest people back in 1995 could conceive what Steve Jobs ended up doing with the iPhone whenever it was released, 2008 or 2010. Right. Yeah, it, it's just crazy now. So if you think we're in 2020 now, if you think it's 2035, there's going to be things that like we can't even think of right now because the idea hasn't even been initiated, yeah. right? There's, there hasn't been that spark from an entrepreneur, but it's going to be crazy how fast we're going to move towards um, like the just the, the marriage between human nature and technology and like society and technology and just where we end up going is yeah, like I, I honestly hope like that's I'm just too curious of a person to to call it quits at death. Oh, you know, I'd yeah. love to keep myself alive just to <laughs> see where humanity goes. Just to see where it goes. Oh hundred percent. And I feel I feel the same thing. I think there's gonna be uh amazing advances in obviously medicine technology People will be able to live longer, yeah. be healthier. Again, it's an aspect where, again, is everyone going to have implants? Is everyone going to be cyborgs eventually? Well, just it. Yeah. And again, is there going to be checks and balances? Are there going to, are we going to be eventually going to be virtual reality because it's so, so much nicer online? You can be who you want, That's whatever right. you want. That's right. It's not going to hurt you. You're going to be safe. Yeah. You're not going to experience like those pains where I think. You almost need you in life to go through growing pains. That's right. You mess up on a date or say something to a friend and not your friend anymore. And you yeah. get kicked off teams, you're not good. You think you need to go through things because then you learn, you understand, like, oh, that's in order to get to this place, I need to do X, Y, and Z. That's right. So um, but I love technology. You know, I said like I'm trying to get away from technology, get out of French first coffee. Yeah. But I love it. Like I love the ability to FaceTime family. Across, say, you know, in the in different continents oh, right nice. now. Yeah. But yeah, again, I think people, again, if you were to go back, I think 50 years ago, yeah, 1970 now, wow. Yeah. And say, hey, by the way, um, cars are going to be able to drive themselves. Yeah. Again, you're going to have a, dev a device that's 
the size base bill wallets or a, a dollar bill. Yeah. That's going to fit in your pocket. You can call people on, you can go on this thing called a computer, which yeah. you have access to LinkedIn information. You can record everything. And you, can, you don't even have to have wires to talk to it. I know. That's and crazy. If you prove like, no, or you're lying. Oh, by the way, things, these cassettes and VHS, yeah, they're going to be gone. Yeah. Everything's going to be on this thing called, called television. Or whatever. Yeah, television. Everything's going to be on TV. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think the more... The more the more advanced we become, the quicker we're able to advance because we have access to quicker more information, quicker information, like, mm-hmm. and yeah, the things the ability to process things becomes quicker. So that just it multiplies as yes. an add. Yes. But you think about it, think six hundred years ago, maybe. Yeah. See, that's what we're eventually need Google Live, so we don't have Google set up live. So don't yeah. don't uh, don't uh, quote me on this, everyone. So, but. I think it was like 600 years ago, about, let's go 600 years, so it's 1420. That's basically, we'll say seven or eight people ago. It's not even that long ago. Yeah, think about generations, it. yeah. I think the printing press was just invented a bit before that, it's around that time. Right. So it was like the first advance where you can actually make copies of books at a yeah. rapid pace. Yeah. And then how long until there's actually printing presses? Like 200 years? Right. 300 yeah. years? Yeah. And then cars were only made like 120 years ago. So even yes. 200 years ago, 150 years ago, it was horses and car- horses and carriage rides that were no cars. That's right. Yeah. But yeah. Now we couldn't conceive of not having a car. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, especially in North America, man. It's uh, it's, it's our our cities in North America are built around the automobile for the most part, right? You know, save for some places in like northeastern United States where a lot of so. yeah, a lot of the infrastructure was built before the invention of the automobile. Um, you know, narrow streets. You think of Manhattan, right? Narrow streets. That's what people watch everywhere. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean, you think of a city like well, here in Edmonton, we were. What, 1905 or something like that? It's only been about 120 years. Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, our whole city was built around the automobile, right? And I know they're trying to do initiatives now. It's like, okay, we have e-scooters, we've got e-bikes, we've got, like, LRT that's expanding um, outside just, like, their their valley line or whatever they call it. Um, And, I mean, they're trying to get more people using alternative modes of transportation, but I I just can't see people in Edmonton ever shifting away from a car. No, it's It's just too... Important, like I think our trend system is getting there, like the ETS. But I think yeah, it's not that great. Especially I heard the LRT isn't like the best um, compared to like say Toronto, where like just tons more people using it. Yeah, more more streamlined process. So again, I don't think a lot of people. I think it's a good initiative where you want more people to use public transit, less emissions, less carbon footprint. But again, if you lit like. A lot of people think they're in the trades or desktop people in Edmonton. Right. I'll say 50 50, my guess would be 50 trades, 50 kind of business, other More like Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, say if someone is a teacher, um, that's to be at school at 8 30 in the morning or 8 in the morning before everything, depending. Yeah. Maybe you have children, they have to to school, and you live in Southwest Edmonton. But say you teach at uh, maybe those are uh, northeast Edmonton. Yeah, you're not going to wait for the LRT to go all the way there and then back. Well, you want to drive your car, take the heavy, it'll probably take thirty minutes, forty minutes instead of like an hour and a half. Yeah, right. So yeah, for sure. 
like, I mean, I, I think back to when I was living abroad and, and Vienna had one of the best public transit systems in the world. Like it was consistently ranked in the top five for, for public transit. And that was like their uh, metro line, which ran underneath the ground. And then they had, well, for the most part, it was underneath, but then they, they, they built some elevated, um, uh, I guess we'll call them LRT lines as well. And then they had this, the, the S-Bahn, which was on the street. And then, uh, buses as well. And like, you could get anywhere in the city relatively quickly. Um, but I know by the end of it, I was like, I was so sick of public transit. I'm just like, just get me in my car. Like it's 8 a.m. And you know, there's, there's a kid screaming his head off and like somebody lighting up on the subway. And like, you're just like, man, I just want my car, yeah. and, like, the air conditioning and the radio. And that's it. Nobody else. I don't want to hear anybody. I don't want to see anybody. Right. It's just. Yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> well, the thing about, uh, selfish, I think the thing about Europe compared to you know, the difference between Europe and North America where it's public transit is in Europe, especially Eastern Europe, no such thing as personal spot space. No, if, you, if you can stop more people in there, you can be on there and you can be on top of one another. Absolutely. They don't care. They don't care at all. <laughs> yeah, did, did you try the dogs when you were in Vienna? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. And did you find, did you find it's better than here? Or um, some items, at least. I found their item with chicken there. I found it was delicious. Oh, yeah. yeah. See, it's funny, man. Most of the times we had McDonald's were after nights out. So everything okay. tastes good, right? Yeah. Everything yeah. tastes good. Yeah. Their coffee, everything there is espresso-based. They don't have drip coffee. Yeah. It's nice. I love that. Everything's espresso-based. So, like, uh, cappuccinos, lattes, melange. So, it's like, good coffee. It's good coffee. But then sometimes, you know, like, I, I really miss the drip coffee, too. Because we're over all the way, we circled back and we started with coffee. Now we're coffee again. But uh, um, I like drip coffee, man. I like my coffee. I like to, I like it to last, you know, forty five minutes to an hour. I like to sip on it. Like everything, when you get it, like a a latte um, in Europe, it comes in like a tiny, maybe I don't know. Oh, espresso orange. like a shot glass. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people. I think there's like people either down or some people just have like like sip sips. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I'm a sipper. I'm a sipper. So yeah, I. Uh, it just, it wouldn't last long, man. By the time I walked back to my flat, my coffee was done. And I was like, okay, now we're waiting for the next, like, three hours, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I, uh, I I like my coffee, and I like to I like it to last. So it was a bit of an adjustment going from drinking drip coffee to, to espresso. So, yeah. What would you say? Would you stay with the drip coffee? 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I did uh, two weeks in Ukraine as a student exchange trip in high school. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was... Uh, Pretty, pretty good. Uh, lived with a family, so close family. Yeah. And super, super uh, gracious and hospitable. Like, I didn't think they had gave you the master bedroom. Oh, nice. And I was lucky because we have the people obviously Ukrainians uh, for the most part, not a uh, wealthy country, but right. it's pretty poor. Right. It is, yeah. Um, under communist rule for many years and under a uh, uh, base tyrannical government. And kind of still a little bit of, uh, um, what's the word, corruption in the government. Right. So, yeah. Uh, but led the great family, how they're at home well water and and they cook delicious food as well. But I think I went to McDonald's every day because it was so <laughs> good. And it was I found it was I think it was a bit cheaper. Yeah. And I think it came quick, but it was so good. And I'm not sure if it's the soil there, because I know some parts of Europe have like urban tourists have amazing soil. Okay. But I think McDonald's does do try to local, so I think it could have been like local made farms with potatoes. It was mm. so good. And mm. They have one item there called Big Tasty. Okay. With their burgers. So. Nice. But, uh, but yeah, um, but, but circling back to technology, though, like, so we have the deviated yeah, yeah, cause of the tangent there, yeah. Um, what's like things like Neuralink? Um, 
do you find that do you think um, worth it back up? So currently with the rise technology, I think there has been more uh, bigger percentage and more people are having just mental health issues, mental health problems, mm-hmm. mental health diagnoses. Yes. Um, and I think it's due to technology with the constant um, um, basically stimulation to our brains. Yeah. You, um, so I guess you can comment on that um, in regards to technology and mental health. But do you think, as I guess second question, do you think something like Neuralink where we would understand each other better, have access to more information, do you think that will eliminate mental health and everyone will be fine or do you think that's going to make it better? Make it so yeah, dude, that's tough because I think a lot of it is going to be like social media is an interesting thing, man. It's almost like a high school. Like it's 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 this malleable, ductile. Like it's constantly shifting. It's constantly changing, and how people engage with it changes too. Because like think of like back in two thousand and five or two thousand six when like Hotmail first came out and everybody was getting their Hotmail email accounts and then there's NSA Messenger and stuff like that. And we're just chatting, right? You go on, you log on after school, you chat with your friends and um, and then, you know, Facebook came along and kind of just completely revolutionized how people connect and how people share information and how people get to know each other. And so Facebook, for me, I didn't get it until I think I was in 2010. But I, you know, and that was, it, it was kind of an interesting time because that was like, for me anyway, right when I was starting to deal with uh, mental health issues and, and in particular like depression. So um, I don't know if there was any rhyme or reason to that. Like if I was, you know, going on Facebook somehow triggered, um, you know, the start of, of, of my depression, I don't want to say it did. Um, but like in terms of how something like Neuralink would impact mental health, I think they're still learning a lot about how depression works on the brain. Like there's, when you read the literature, there's not a lot of concrete science into what depression actually is and how it impacts the brain. So I think, um, as you know, the, like as, as the technology advances and as our understanding of depression in the human brain advances, there might be that opportunity where you could actually through a brain, brain implant cure things like depression and anxiety and bipolarism and like any other form of mental illness. Like they're, they're, I would not put it past human ingenuity to come up with something that would ultimately solve mental health. Now going back to social media, I think it's nothing but detrimental to mental health. Hundred percent, Nothing but detrimental. I think it's the worst thing that for, for the human psyche, for human emotions and for human relationships, it's, it's horrible. Uh, I agree. I think, uh, I think first of all, and I completely understand it's, um, it's human nature. You know, you, as a young kid now, you and it's teacher own. You do how you want to do your family. You know, if you want to on your phone, but your kids. I see sometimes parents. You probably see it. But parents play on their their phone like yeah. kids on the park. Yeah. You know, if that's the way you want to do it, like I don't have a kid, so I can't really judge people. Yeah. You know. And it's hard not to go on your phone because I love YouTube. It's YouTube yeah. is good. <laughs> yeah, YouTube's awesome. Um, so it's natural that I think kids younger now are having access to more technology. But I think the yeah. downfall is is younger kids are going on Facebook and going on Instagram. Yeah. I think we um, to younger kids should have access to technology, maybe bring games and maybe do maybe school stuff on there because yeah. it's very it can be very attractive. But again, I think younger girls, especially, especially in, during the Hormonal, uh, when basically when you're going through your hormonal period, going through yeah, puberty, 
I think teenage girls get the worst because yeah. I think for the most part, uh, young young guys, you know, typically um, usually sell with their fists. Yeah, and we typically don't really we don't really go each other, go for each other's throats online. Right, you might go fuck you, you're a piece of shit, but I will yeah. leave it that. But then females typically, you know, they they can be catty, of course, you know, um, and then you go you they go online and they can ruin people's lives and sometimes they post embarrassing photos, post secrets. Yeah. Some guys do too, I imagine, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's more so the percentage-wise is on females currently. And and this, again, a place such as Psych, the heart, um, sorry, which plays uh, sort of a huge negative impact on a young girl's psyche. Yes. And especially because it's, I think it's human nature, not just in females, but in everyone where you see someone with a nice car, you want that same car or something well, equivalent, right? It's human yeah. nature. And you go online, especially with all these filters, people looking like super, everyone can look super mall ready. Yeah, exactly. And young girls look at them if they think that's the way they're supposed to be. Yeah. And then even as you're older, I think, yeah, I think, I think a decent amount of people experience it. I would say more often than not, probably upwards of at least 75%. Mm-hmm. Probably experience maybe some negative emotions or main depression from social media because yeah. again, you post your best self on social media too. Yeah. Like, no one posts um, the time they get fired. Well, me on Facebook, like, got to go, is everyone looking? But like on um, Instagram, especially, yeah. is the best vacations, best view, or we're the best couple. Yeah. We have no problems. And then people are like, oh, like, even though I have a great life, like it's not as good as that guys. Yeah. So I think, um, sorry, I'm kind of rambling here. I kind of, no. I think yeah, if you use properly, like you, you get to stay in touch with people, you can market your business. Social media is great. Mm-hmm. I think if you are constantly responding to it, compare yourself to others, it can ruin your life. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think like you think back to say post World War II, you know, nineteen. You know, 45 to 1970, 1980s, I guess, you know, it's always, you hear that expression, keeping up with the Joneses, right? And so a lot of times you compare yourself to a such, like such a smaller circle of people. If you look at your next door neighbors and they just got a new TV, well, then you want a new TV, right? They get a new car, you want a new car. Your family member goes on a nice vacation, you want to go on a nice vacation. But the, the, the circle of people you compare yourself to is so much smaller. Because your social networks were a lot smaller, right? Yeah. Now you go on Instagram and you find all these models or influencers or whatever you want to call them. You want to explore. Yeah, well, age. First of all, what the hell is this? What was a social media influencer? Yeah. What the hell is that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, man. But you look at them, and of course, like everything, their posts are planned, they're scripted. Um, it's always designed to show the best part of your yeah. life. No, no, what's this? Sorry, and uh, I, I get caught all the time. I'm a guy. I like good-looking females. Yeah. Um, I like a lot of females. <laughs> but it's like I think guys are too. But it's like they post this inspirational quote. But it's like a picture of them, like with their butt sticking out. With the guys. Well, I think guys may 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 like good-looking guys. They shirts off. Oh, shirts like, off for sure. But yeah. girls may have sticking out their butt. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're wearing bikini. It's like I don't know. Like I don't know what it's an inspirational quote. But it's like like. It's all about the process stuff, and like it's all about the journey, not destination. But sure. yeah, it's like, but I get it because like we like nice. Everyone likes nice things. So yeah. Like, oh, nice. And we read it, so I guess it's about the followers. But I get what you mean. Like, what like 
what have some some of these people have done? Like, I mean, some people. I think I saw some of these social media influencers. You can rent a jet set, so it's not like an actual jet, but it's like oh, a movie jet set. Yeah, to take photos of. Yeah. it's like what the. And then again, it's crazy, isn't it? Some people they think, oh, I need to have a the Lambo or whatever. Yeah, it's like it can go a couple ways. One, people go into debt. Yeah, trying to show off, and it's again, it's like that's right. It's like you shouldn't go into debt. For anything, this maybe then maybe a house that we could form, like especially not a car, because you see you drive it off the lot, it's worth less. Yeah, exactly. Right, and then or people go the other way. It's like I've been cheated. Where's my piece of them? Then so then maybe they become either lazy. Not trying to say like how I think there's a certain percentage where it's like I've been cheated. Fuck this. Fuck that. Like, yeah. Like so then again, creates more problems. It does, man. Yeah, it does. And like, I like what you said earlier about if you use it correctly, it can be something that is like very, very beneficial for a lot of people, right? Like I get to stay in contact with friends from all over the world on multiple platforms, whether it's WhatsApp, whether it's Snapchat, whether it's Insta, like there's, there's, there's definite goods to it. Like there's, there's a lot of, you know, if you were to make a pros and cons list, there are a lot of pros, but the cons now is that, you know, it just, for I look at kind of my younger cousins that are growing up right now and um just the amount that their relationships have shifted from in-person relationships to strictly online relationships. And um, you know, just I, I think going back to how we compare ourselves to others now, you know, I can be sitting there scrolling through Instagram and all I see and Instagram thinks that I want to see is like successful entrepreneurs or, you know, like these gorgeous girls that are traveling all over the world and just, you know, um, posting pictures of them in exotic locations, you know, looking dressed to the dime, like, you know, dressed to the tents. And, um, yeah, it's very easy to fall into this trap of like, my life sucks and I don't want to, you know, like the things that would normally give you pleasure don't give you any pleasure anymore because you're constantly comparing yourself to now not just your friends, but you're comparing yourself to people who do this as their sole profession, as their sole source of income, right? Like, I mean, they're professional. Um, I, I don't want to call them a professional. Well, like, I mean, they're, they're influencers, right? Like, they, 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 their sole job is to kind of show off the best that life has to offer, right? You know, it's, it's, I don't know. I think, uh, I don't want to like put, put those people down as well. I think again, um, I think I guess in the right way, like it's good to show people that hey, it's possible to buy a mansion because yeah, I worked so hard. I built I built a business, and because I worked so hard, I was able to do this. I think it's in the right way, and but I think again, like in the wrong way, it creates that. But I think if you show people hey, it's possible that if you work hard enough, you can achieve your dreams. Look what I did. I think that's a good way of doing it. But yeah. Like, yeah, I think it's too much of like, sometimes it could be like, you think you have to do this. And you think you have to, like, it, you mentioned relationships. Mm-hmm. See, maybe your friend who potentially, maybe, let's just say your friend in there maybe makes more money than you, you feel yeah. the same more money. Like, everyone's in different positions in life, different goals, different things you like, different, different journeys. And sometimes your friend gets this for his spouse and then again you look at that like, i have to do that for mine right or your or your spouse goes how can we do that for me look how this person treats their girlfriend yeah, yeah, then exactly. you don't know behind the scenes they're always fight yeah and you you and your sweetheart never fight yeah and then maybe you start fighting or whatever and i i just know for me man like well i was going through everything so i i did yeah, yeah so yeah so sorry yeah so you mentioned uh on the rise of facebook or when you first got on facebook you were kind of Getting a 
sober or pure. Yeah, person. so so I I went through I, I struggled with depression for most of my uh, late teens and early twenties. So I'd say between the ages of fifteen and twenty five. I'm twenty six now. So between between fifteen and twenty five, off and on. Um, but I know social media for me was like it was just a cancer for 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 my own you know mental health because. Um, part of it is when you're, when you're struggling with depression, when you're not happy with where you are in life and you're constantly seeing posts of other people that appear to be in a much different situation. Cool. Um, yeah. But I mean, the one thing that you learn to, the more people I've talked to about this, um, you know, the more you understand that, like, it's just everybody deals with it. Mm-hmm. Everybody deals with it. I know this, the official statistic is like one in four people are going to be dealing with mental health issues at some point throughout their life. But, Honestly, man, I think it's a lot higher. Like, I think everybody goes through periods where if you look at the symptoms of depression, everybody goes through periods where they, um, you know, are, could be quote unquote depressed, right? But the difference is between people that go through bad periods in their life and people that are clinically depressed are once you fall into that sort of snare of depression, um, if you're clinically depressed, you really can't pull yourself out of it. And that's where I was, right? Because, like, um, for me, you know, in high school, it was more. So, know, so I guess, sorry, sorry. So, I guess to compare it, so uh, you mentioned everyone goes through depression, but yeah. being just regular depression versus being clinically depressed. It's right. The period in which you are depressed is probably longer, maybe a bit more severe, but again, you don't have to bounce back. You don't have to bounce back. Exactly. Right. Like, let's just say you lose your job, right? Family member dies. Um, get into a car accident. Something bad happens in your life and you just go through a few days where you're just not yourself, right? Like things that used to give you enjoyment, uh, you don't find enjoyment anymore. You might be slow, uh, kind of in your cognitive ability and your ability to think rationally. You might go through a little bit of a period where you feel, you have struggle feeling happiness. And all of those things are like normal. I think when you, when you have something bad that happens in your life, but the difference is that for a lot of people, they're able to go through that initial wave of the depressive feelings and then eventually pull themselves out of it and after a couple weeks to feel better you know time is a good healer but what i found with mine and um you know what what my psychiatrist and my psychologist have told me is that for me when i fall into it i can't get out of it right i fall into that trap and i just like my thinking and everything in my life like everything just kind of compounds you know, bad thought after bad thought after bad thought. And it almost like fundamentally changes who you are as a person, but um, you get trapped in it and you can't get out. Right. And so for me, especially, so in high school, it was more like when I first started dealing with it, it was more, um, you know, I looked at the symptoms of depression. I remember I was 15, I was Googling it in my bedroom. And I remember thinking, okay, like this, this could be me, right? Like I'm experiencing a lot of, a lot of what the, the clinical symptoms are. But I didn't really think anything of it. And I was too, um, like I had too much pride and I was too, um, I guess, like. Would it be like kind of like the typical ego where you're like, I'm good, like you're trying to shake it off? Yeah, you're like, like you're, it's like you're a man, just suppress it, yeah, right? Like, so like, you're, you're like that player on the team, you're injured, but you don't want to tell anyone, so you sure. try to play through it. Yeah, it's just like you didn't want to open up and admit anything to anybody. And and I, so, think, I think it's also a good point out that. Um, people's perception of what they're going through like to on the outside dude could be like why is this person sad but like yes. to someone something very small could be the biggest thing in the world for some reason sometimes you don't even know why yeah you're upset or yeah. not not feeling right but again so i think different 
experiences to different people, it just triggers those strong things. Well, and that's just it, man. I mean, like, I, I did not have a bad life by the slightest stretch of the imagination. I had, like, the model childhood. I had phenomenal parents, like, amazing family members, great friends, like, um, every opportunity in the world, everything I, you know, everything I could have wanted growing up, I had, right? It was my, like, my, my childhood was, was amazing, but, um, and that's part of why I felt so guilty about feeling depressed is because on the surface, I'm like, you have nothing to be depressed about, right? Like you, you have an incredible, like, like you, you should not be feeling as bad as you're feeling, um, for something, you know, small negative that happened in your life. But the problem was once you kind of stumble or get yourself into that line of thinking, then it just kind of like you start to feel worse and worse about it because you're like, I should not be feeling like this. And then your brain goes, well, yeah, but you're, you know, like you, you're, you know, you should feel bad for feeling bad, I guess. It's like the way to put it, but you just spiral out of control. Yeah. And you so, did, yeah, 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 um, to your point, like same thing out of your life, man, I think it's just natural. I have some periods about, I doubt myself, you know, myself and same thing. It's like, why are you upset? You have a great life. You should be happy. You kind of again beat yourself up. You kind of yeah. feel a bit more upset. It's like, why am I complaining? I have a great life. Yeah, I should feel great. But I don't. Then you should feel worse. Yeah, I know it's horrible. And so I went through it off and on from uh, probably 2010 to to 2016. And you know, some periods things were great, man. Um, you know, like I, I was, you know, living a great life and having a lot of fun and. Um, you know, I was, I was living a life of somebody who wasn't depressed. And then there was other periods where, uh, it got so bad where, um, honestly, dude, like, you know, you can't get out of bed, right? Like everything just becomes a struggle. And the first real bout of, um, I guess the, the worst of the depression that I had was actually when I was abroad in Vienna. So this would have been back in uh, February of 2017. And yeah, like, I mean, on the surface, I should have been having the time of my life, right? Like I was living in a beautiful country. I had a great group of friends. We were traveling, we were partying, we were having a lot of fun, right? But um, for some reason, man, like I went off my medication. Uh, I didn't want to be, uh, again, this goes back to pride. Um, I didn't want to have to rely on a pill for my own well-being. Um, and then, you know, also my doctor told me that I shouldn't be drinking on the medication. So I was like, oh, screw it. I'm just not going to take the medication yeah. so I can drink. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I really fell into my, you know, I, I fell into kind of my first body depression while I was gone. And, um, that was the first time in my life where I honestly thought I wouldn't get better. Like that was the first time in my life where I thought I was going to be dealing this until the Lord takes me, right? Where I just like, I'm not going to be able to live a normal, happy life. And because that, that first bout of depression for me, the serious bout of depression lasted from March of 2017 all the way through until about August or September of that same year. So about five months where pretty much every day was a struggle. Every single day. Five months. So it's about five months. Fifty days, yeah, roughly, where it was every single day, like, and and so you, it, it just almost kind of feel like uh, sort of like a weight on you the whole time, like you're oh, kind of dragging something. It's, it's horrible, like you know things that you would normally get pleasure from, whether that's you know just maybe a cup of coffee, yeah, or petting a dog, or um, you know seeing something funny on TV, or just hanging out with your friends, like 
nothing brought you any sort of happiness or joy. Everything was just so like dark. And for me, it's almost like I became a different person. Like it wasn't like this negative voice in my head that was bullying me. It was like, I fundamentally changed as a human being. Like I couldn't remember what life was like when I wasn't depressed. Like everything was just, uh, it was like, just like this, this vacuum of emotions. Like I, it, it just sucked any sort of life from, from, um, my surroundings. I just became like this, um, completely, hopeless, vulnerable, um, it, it, like, it, I, it's really hard to put it into words to, to explain what it's like to be depressed, but it, it, basically it's like, um, an inability to feel any sort of happiness or positivity or hope in your life whatsoever. Like, it's just this constant feeling of loss and suffering and, uh, despair and, you know, it's almost like watching those, like, um, black and white films where everything's like kind of just gray. It's like feeling like, like nothing like has like the same sense of color. It's kind yeah. of just bland. Yeah. Yeah. That's very much it. I have your sense that everything is just like dulled. Right. And, um, you know, so I, I really struggled when, you know, when I was, when I was away and, um, my mom knew it, like my, like people around me knew it. Um, because when I first started going through it, it was really easy to mask it, right? You could suppress it, you could put on a happy face, and you could go out and pretend that everything was fine, right? But the worse it got, and the worse the depression, like the worse the depression came, you just became so exhausted trying to do that same battle day after day after day, and it just became too big and too much to suppress in life, right? Like you can't like. I, I got to the point where it's just like you'd walk into a room and like everyone would know something was up, right? Everyone knew something was wrong. Just because, you know, it's almost like you're, I don't know, have you ever boxed before or anything like that? I haven't done like martial arts or anything. I've done when I was younger, probably a couple of judo fights. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it's like, it's like you're in a fight, man, and you're just getting pulverized in this fight. Like you're, there's, you're, you're nowhere, you're outmatched, you're, like the, your opponent is bigger, stronger, faster, better fighter. And then, it's like a stronger version of you, but he knows you're at a move source speed. Exactly. And like, you just get so exhausted. You're taking blow after blow to the head and you're falling down. And then somebody's picking you up and shoving you back in there. And then they just continue to, you know, beat the crap out of you. And that's, that's kind of what it was like was, was just you get to this point where you're ready to quit, but life doesn't let you quit. I mean, you still have to get things done. You still have school to do. You still have work to do. You still have like a social life that you want to try to maintain. And you know, you, you can't just like, you can't give up, you, you know, unless you will ultimately decide to, to, you know, um, take your own life. Like that's sometimes it feels like your only way out. And I know back when, you know, I was junior high, high school and you hear about somebody like we have like, um, we had a couple of people in our class commit suicide actually. And, uh, you know, you just remember thinking like they had so much to live for, right? Like, and you can't, I never understood it until I got there, what it was like to be, um, ready to give up on it all because it's like, you know, you can't really understand like, the human brain does a really, really poor job of thinking in terms of absolutes. We think relatively. Right. So you can't really understand happiness without having some feelings of sadness. And that's why these normal ups and downs from your mood are ultimately what give life beauty because you, in order to experience happiness, you first have to know what sadness feels like. Right. You can't just think in terms of, okay, what does absolute sadness feel like? Well, it's almost like it's the absence of happiness. And so you take normal words that you associate with happiness and you just use their opposites to associate with sadness. 
Um, but where I was going with this is that like you lose your ability to feel any sort of uh, happiness or pleasure in your life. And so um, your life becomes strictly this uh, just terrible, difficult, like um, abusive relationship that you have with yourself. And um, you, you, know, you get to that point where um, you kind of start to understand why people ultimately make that decision to to take their life into their own hands and ultimately end it. Like, it's just, it's a horrible, horrible place to be in there. I could, I could imagine, and I've, I've done that again, beginning to feel like nothing, nothing gives you pleasure, nothing makes you happy. Right. You know, as you mentioned, sometimes, sometimes you can't get out of it, like nothing does it for you. And, and I could imagine that day after day, going through the same emotions, mm-hmm. that it could be the only option, I think. And, it's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. And I believe um, uh, I had a, this is kind of judgmental, but I uh, had the executive director of the Edmonton Mustard Seed on uh, recently. He okay. said um, number one reason for uh, homelessness is broken relationships because people feel they don't have anyone to turn to. Absolutely. And I think more often than not, that if someone does take their own life, it would probably have to do with that. You just think maybe. That the people they have around them, for some reason, they just, they can't turn to. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think, and you can speak to this, but maybe the reason why maybe I imagine you probably had the same thoughts that the, it was your own way, but you had, that maybe they had potentially strong relationships with the people around you. Maybe that kind of saved you, kind of maybe like, yeah, these are my people. It did. I can't give up on them. It did. Yeah. Um. So I think really for, for anybody dealing with mental illness. And I, I can really want to speak to depression because I've never had anxiety or bipolarism or anything else. Like I, I dealt strictly with depression. Um, my psychiatrist, not to brag or anything, but she said that it was uh, the worst case of depression she'd ever seen. So I think that's the only thing I've ever been the best at. <laughs> 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 yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, you like a black or I, I should ask. Them, yeah. I should ask but for, for, for depression, man, there's really three things that you need to, if you're, if you're dealing with it. And number one is medication. And finding the right medication is a process. It takes time. Um, it takes trial and error because again, they don't really fundamentally understand what the effects of depression are on the brain. And in some ways, like my psychiatrist was explaining to me, they don't even fully understand how the medications work. They just know that they do a really good job in addressing these symptoms and helping you pull out of it. So okay. medication. Sorry, sorry. Just no, no. because um, from what my understanding is that I think our understanding of the brain is still very, I think, uh, um, like uh, what's it, early on. So we don't yeah. know as much of the brain. And I, I heard yeah. that with brain injuries, it's like it's the, what the effects in the brain is around. It could be good. It could, mm-hmm. like some people with uh, CPU, like, Commit suicide or kill, kill their family, commit suicide. Like, yeah. And so I think potentially because the brain is kind of almost random in the sense that it might have just different effects. So that would be kind of right. Do you, do you know that or? Yeah. Like, I, I guess. Um, so for me, when I was going and trying to find the right concoction medication, some of it really messed with you. Really messed with you. Like, um, just giving major panic attacks, like huge, uh, like anxiety. Like there are just times where I would like completely break down, like ball my eyes out and we were curled up in a ball. And like, it was just, it really messed with your head, man. But then the nice thing is, is when you finally find that right mix, right? And it's all about not just one type of medication, but sometimes, sometimes the combination of medications. Um, then you actually start to feel your, 
baseline really slowly start to rise, right? And so it gives you a little bit of like um, a little bit of hope and a little bit of relief from from the symptoms. And so there, uh, sorry, um, medication is definitely the number one thing, but then therapy is another important factor to that too. So that's, that would be the second thing, second kind of tool in your toolkit. And then the third, just going back to what you said, it's your support network. Because like for me, I had a huge support network. I was really lucky. My mom was really involved in kind of my recovery process. And, and, and I mean, same with my dad and like my brother, my uncles, friends, family, like the whole works. Um, you know, I reached out to a lot of people during that time. Um, but yeah, so your support network is huge, man. And I remember thinking like, cause if it wasn't for that, um, I honestly, you I probably would have ended up like if, if I, if I didn't end up attempting, like making an attempt on my life, like I would have ended up on the streets and I definitely would have ended up with addiction issues. I would have ended up like, um, turning to the bottle, turning to the pill. Like, um, there's no question in my mind about that, man, because like it's the, honestly, sometimes it was like the only thing that can make reality bearable, right? But the problem is it's, it's, it doesn't address, it, it addresses the symptoms, but it's not a cure, right? So like, you know, you, you'd wake up and like, I would go first thing I would do, it would be like 11 in the morning. I'd go grab a beer, right? Or, you know, grab the, you know, like a spirit of some sort. And I would be just sipping on that throughout the day because, you know, it made just everything kind of, it, it made your world a lot smaller. It kind of stopped your brain from, from running so much. And it just became, it was like such a crutch that you had to rely on mm-hmm. just to be able to get through your days. And so I know like, cause I wouldn't have had this, I, there's no way I would have gone through therapy and, uh, like seeing a psychiatrist on my own accord. There's not a chance I would have done that. So for me, it was really like my family saying, there's something wrong with you need. We like, and get like, we're not even giving you the option, just get in the car where we went to the hospital. And so like, they took me to an emergency one night. This was, um, oh gosh, when was this? Probably August or September, September, I think of 2018. And, um, yeah, so I get into emergency and my, my parents, uh, they check me in and then they take me into the psychiatric ward in Zercordia hospital. And so I was, um, I was inside like this room. And well, it was like a big facility. It was like white walls, um, lots of beds all over the place. And uh, a couple of armed security guards were, were standing by the door so nobody could get in or out. And um, I remember just sitting there and then I thought I spent like four or five hours there, if not longer. And, you know, doctor after doctor would come in and they would ask, okay, well, what's wrong? What are your symptoms? Like, um, you know, have you had thoughts of suicide? And, um, at that point, I had lied to them because I, I told them no. Um, and because I, I knew if I said yes, that they had the legal authority to detain me. Once I said, like, once you say that you are either thinking about harming yourself or harming somebody else, that's all they need to detain you. And so they wanted me, uh, they, they told me, like, listen, there's this program that you can go through. It's like, you know, group therapy, it's 24 seven supervision. We'll keep you in the hospital for about three weeks. And I'm like, there's no way in hell I'm staying in the hospital for three weeks. I'm like, that would honestly, like, from where I was at, because again, I was still in the mindset where I didn't want to admit anything was wrong. Yeah. And so um, I lied to them and I told them, you know, like, no, I'm not experiencing any self-harm thoughts. Uh, yes, I'll be able to be okay. And like, um, and one of the options they gave me is like, okay, well, we need you under 24 hour care, basically. 
And so my mom had to take time off work. I had to go on a sick leave from work. I was working at the Edmonton Union Society at the time. And, um, like I, I basically was under constant like supervision because they did not trust me to be alone. So yeah, it's, uh, it was, that was, that was a really, really tough period. And it's, um, you know, it just goes back to that whole thing. Like, I'm just thankful for the people I had in my life because, again, like, if, if my parents hadn't loaded me up into the car and taken me to the hospital, I would not have taken that step to go alone. If my mom had not called, like, my mom was the one who screened all the therapists for me. I she just told me to get in the car, we're going to see a therapist, and um, you know, this therapist uh, ended up being, you know, probably one of the best things to ever happen to me because you know she she just was able to kind of help me sort out my emotions and address my symptoms and um you know it was it was just a really important part of my recovery i guess uh, my question would be uh what's the difference between a therapist and a psychiatrist of their roles yeah so basically psychiatrists have the ability to prescribe medication psychologists don't and so there's two components to this, and this is how it's explained to me. Is there's the hardware component. To so the psychologists are like like a hybrid pharmacist and uh, like therapists. Or yeah, psychiatrists are all about uh, just getting you on a proper medication that allow you to bring your baseline mood back up to what would be considered normal, right? And so, um, like psychiatry as a practice is all about. Um, they, they do, there are some psychiatrists that will provide, uh, some counseling like services. But for me, my psychiatrist was all about addressing, um, kind of the neurochemistry in my brain, uh, with the proper medication. And then she sent, she, she would work kind of in tandem with my psychologist or my therapist who then addressed, uh, you know, how I could sort of recover from the depression in terms of how I interacted with people and how I treated myself, essentially. But uh, so like the psychiatrist, if you can fit from a hardware software component, the psychiatrist will work on the hardware, which is your brain, yeah. right? And then the psychologist will work on the software, which is how the brain runs and how the brain functions, sure. right? And your thoughts and your emotions and all that stuff. So you really, you do need both. And, do you, and in your experience, do you feel there was like a heavy push for medication or like as mm-hmm. in like you need to be on all these meds to get better or, do you, or do you, did you find it was more like, hey, I'm, that right now, currently, we recommend you take this medication, and our goal is eventually to get you not use medication at all. Yeah, though it is. Yeah, so it's different for everybody. Um, just because my case was so bad, my psychiatrist is really hesitant to take me off and eat like all my medication. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably be on medication for the rest of my life. Um, but I mean, then again, who knows? We we never tried to wean myself off any of it. I've just been. Um, I think a little bit nervous, you know, to go off the medication entirely, just because you never know what based you're on past experience. Just based off past experience, yeah. So, um, I'll probably be on medication for the rest of my life, and I'll probably have to do some form of therapy for for the rest of my life as well, just to kind of have like an independent third party that my thoughts, that my emotions, that my experiences, and just kind of help me sort through, um, you know, everything that's going on, uh, and you know, it, it's. At first, I was kind of upset, you know, because you, you don't feel normal. Like, you don't think it's something that a normal person kind of has to do on you. Yeah, yeah. Like, and so, but I, I know it's like, it's definitely for the best. And I'm like, I don't ever want to go back to to where I was before, right? So whatever I have to do to stay out of it, I will do. And, um, you know, you just kind of 
have to understand them. And I think it's becoming a little bit less stigmatized as well. And I'm definitely a lot more open to talking about it with, with other people. Like, uh, like I said, when I first started going through it, I wanted, I wanted nobody to know. Nobody, not even my parents. Tell them how the Instagram life, like, I'll post the best things online, but secretly I'll kind of deal with this myself. Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. Like, you just, I, I didn't want anybody to know because I thought it, it, it meant weakness, right? And I thought it meant I wasn't going to be myself vulnerable. I wasn't going to be talking about my emotions or my feelings or anything like that. I was horrible at it. And so I just suppressed everything, which, um, you know, made everything obviously so much worse. And so to anybody like that's, Thinks that they might be going through it. Um, like definitely the number one thing to do is, is at first, you know, reach out to your support network. But if you feel like it's something that's kind of beyond your own ability to, to overcome, like just, just swallow your pride and go to, you know, just go get professional help. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's so important to, to, you know, be taking care of your own mental health and your own mindset and stuff like that. So yeah. Um, I can share a story. So, you know, well, sorry, but a quick thought there. It's, it's pretty funny though. We think about like, if our car breaks down, like we never try to fix ourselves. We just go as a cat and get it done because we know they're professionals. Yeah. If our TV, our Wi-Fi doesn't work, we're also going to call our, our service provider or deal with them online. They're going to fix it for us. We yeah. don't have to do it because they're professionals. We don't know anything about IT. Yeah. yeah. But then it's, it's like anything in life. Like when it comes to us, it's like we try to do everything ourselves. And again, we don't want to admit. That there's something wrong or something damaged. So if there is, like, like we're gonna we're gonna fix it ourselves. Yeah. And, and I think there's something too is um, you have to think have something in your life that almost grounds you. Um, yeah. To for sure. like for me, I know like if I don't work out a certain amount of days per week. I know like I can feel me a bit anxious, maybe a bit angry. Mm. And for me, I enjoy fitness, and it's a way to kind of get keep myself balanced, myself just in the right mind. I, after I feel great. And some people, I think you need to find something, whether it's maybe a nice cup of coffee, sit there and don't do anything for 15 minutes in the morning. Yeah. Uh, maybe meditation, fitness, reading, something that's not, not on social media. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree 100%. Man. I think he hit the nail on the head. Um, for me, that was boxing. So uh, I started boxing back in 2015 for the first time. And I did it off and on for the next couple of years. But then in 2017, when I came back from Vienna, uh, first thing I did, I came back on a Tuesday, Wednesday morning, I went up and signed up at uh, a boxing gym in the West End that's no longer there. But man, that sport saved me. Like, it was huge. Like, I... Uh, Where do you train now? For longer? Are you going to Asian currently? Or yeah, there's a small gym. Uh, actually, it's not that small. There's a gym on uh, 87th Avenue and 156th Street in West Edmonton. It's like literally two minutes from my house. And so, yeah, my coach, uh, he's he's an awesome guy. Um, and he was he was like pivotal and just, you know, like I, I walked into the gym man, and all the problems would be left at the door. You know, it was the one place I could go where I could get out of my head. You know, like you're, you're just focused on your workout. You're focused on eating the bag. You're focused on your, you know, your sparring partner. Whether it didn't matter what you were doing, like shadow boxing, heavy bag work, light bag work, like sparring, the whole, like everything was just, it required 100% of your, uh, focus and attention. So you, like, even if I wanted to, like my brain wasn't going places that shouldn't, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's the, that's the whole thing about this is like between my ears now, like, like in here, in my head, it's not a good place. Yeah. It's not a good place. Like nobody should be allowed to to be in there alone. And that's unfortunately the spot where I was at. It's like I couldn't get out of my head. And so I think if like if if my psyche at the time, if my like if you could take 
kind of that part of me out and put it in another person, that person would have been an absolute monster. Yeah. It would have been like, you know, in prison for, for life, right? Like just with the way it would have treated people or the way that, you know, it, unfortunately then um, just being in my own head, it was the way I treated myself. And so boxing really allowed me to, to kind of get some uh, just relief from that feeling, right? From that, from that uh, kind of monster that was inside of your head. And, uh, you know, you actually felt good for two hours, right? For, for your core, but you felt okay. And so one of the things that I really wanted to do, and unfortunately I don't think I'm going to get a chance to do it, but, um, I would have loved to have worked my way up to train pro as a boxer. Why don't, why don't, why don't you all that? Uh, just because I'm going to it. And, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's tough. We're in a tough spot right now. Um, I'm 26 years old. And so if I'm going to do it, I really have to do it soon. Um, I don't, you know, I don't have time on my side, but I wanted to, um, you know, use kind of my position as an athlete, uh, and the money that I would get from fighting, whether it was from sponsorships and, uh, you know, your flight purse, um, any endorsements that you would get, like all of that, I wanted to go to the Canadian Mental Health Institute. And that was really my goal with the sport. But unfortunately, man, it just, it never, it never really manifested itself. And we'll see, who knows, maybe I'll get that shot one day to do it. I think there'd be... Um, a lot of fun and, uh, yeah, I know <laughs> if my mom's listening to this, I'm sorry, mom, but, uh, yeah, I, I would, I'd love to get in there one day as a pro. I think that'd be so cool. I think, man, I think you could do it, especially, well, first of all, um, playing with advanced, I guess, in science technology, working out. I think, um, you can fight longer and, and start longer, but I think the only thing with boxing, I think compared with UFC is, um, I think boxing, you need, like, these more fights you do. on your belt to... Be pro and then also fight the challenger or the champion. Whereas UFC, it's not I think you need as many fights. I think don't quote me on that. I'm not I'm not in the fighting world, but I think you could do it. I think. Yeah, was, there's there's a no harm in trying. We're seeing you should be jacked and ready yeah. right? So it's not a bad downside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it, it would be it'd be a lot of fun to do. Um, and I, I also thought about uh, starting up. Uh, I guess like a clothing brand, like an athletic brand, and do the same thing that incorporated as not for profit and just donate everything, all the proceeds to uh, the Canadian Mental Health Institute. And, um, you know, it would be great if we could get some professional athletes on board as like sponsors and, and, and kind of, um, not as sponsors, that's wrong word. I guess they're brand ambassadors. Yeah, brand ambassadors. So, um, I just never went anywhere with that idea, man. I guess. Dak, have you ever heard, you hear about, uh, Dak Prescott in Reeves? Yeah, I know what yeah. Um, so he is like, you watch NFL? <laughs> it's all yeah. good. I'm a yeah. huge NFL fan. I know a Canadian who's, uh, second sport is hockey, not first. So I apologize. Oh, yeah. Football, for some reason, took my heart. Nice. I love nice. it. It's like Sunday's come, I'm all juiced up, ready to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, he's a quarterback for Dallas Cowboys and Dallas Cowboys, um, who don't know they're like the, they're always on primetime TV. So mm-hmm. they're not always the best team. They haven't won a Super Bowl and, I'm thinking the 2000s, so at okay. least 20 years. But they, and because they're marketing well, they're always on TV. They're always noticed. I think some radio stations have to have Dallas Cowboys talk mm-hmm. mandatory just because they know they get the better ratings higher for some reason. Yeah. And their starting quarterback in NFL, super, super, traditionally super macho sport. Yeah. Came out on I uh, forget which podcast or show he was on, but he basically talked about how during the offseason, his brother passed away. Okay. They basically admitted 
there was once periods of depression that mm-hmm. he was unmotivated. Mm-hmm. And I think he came out pretty uh, support um, for his uh, coming out was pretty good. But uh, I think he would be definitely a good athlete to, if you want to do partnership for, to definitely get on, at least on the, Canadian, on the American side, because he came out with his uh, mental health and playing professional sports, so that's a uh, pretty ballsy thing to do. Yeah, it is for sure, man. And, and I mean, this just goes back to the whole stigma of it again. Like, um, I think we see athletes as kind of stupid that you know, the system is when they're not, right? Like, I mean, sure, they're, they're living everybody's dream of playing a sport professionally and, and you know, making tons of money, you know, flying privates and um, staying in nice hotels, dating, you know, beautiful girls. But, um, you know what, man? Like, it's just as prevalent in the locker room as it is in outside society, right? And especially for people that get so close to reaching that level, like the NHL players, um, you know, they, they, they go through major junior, they get drafted, they play in the NHL, and they just never make that ultimate push to the NHL. And, you know, it's really prevalent among athletes that just, just don't quite reach that goal that they wanted. And, um, I think it's because it's uh, your whole base identity of who you are. Exactly. Um, it was hockey, that was your plan. And uh, my time had the same um, problem is where uh, I played uh, offensive line in high school, so I was the person protected the quarterback. Yeah. So I was uh, the fat guy, <laughs> blocking, and then I didn't play football for three years. Um, I got my sweet, high school sweetheart broke up with me okay. after grade 12. Yeah. And then I was up to like 260. Okay. I dropped like 80 pounds in like six months. And then, no way. And then I got to fitness. Thank you. And then, yeah, I eventually started. I sit on my podcast uh, to get back at the, for her breaking my heart. I'm going to show you. <laughs> and then uh, yeah. I just fell in love with fitness and working out. And then, but you know what? I'm going to try playing football again. Yeah. I, with play receiver and then I was like yeah I have like one year to play junior football which is like semi-pro football mm-hmm. it's the only difference between semi-pro and pro is the pay and semi-pro it's the same thing but you still get paid right it's every day and I absolutely love the process love being with the guys and yeah I busted my ass for about two years I hired two personal trainers um, went on field one strength and did one strength coach to want my weightlifting yeah and I think I was like the best shape of my life I was like, and I was hanging with the veterans on the team, so we already bonded. I volunteered for everything on the team had to do. I was because uh, uh, you know it's one of the football games we played. It's uh, U of A football, Edmonton Huskies, and the Wildcats. We right. the fifties. Yeah, just because part of that the fifty goes to those teams. Okay, and I was a top seller about everyone up um, every single time because yeah. I didn't stand in the station. I went up and down the aisles, hustling, yeah. and yeah, and in spring camp. Uh, I think I played on spring foot. Okay. Never dropped the ball. Oh, nice. And then main cap came and, oh, I, I, it's looking back, I think I was better than I actually was. I probably could have been probably faster, probably done things differently, of course. Right. Um, but I came out to the last trial, the last day, and I was the last receiver called in to talk to the coach. And he's like, you only have one year left and you're kind of old for what we're looking for. And oh, jeez. You're in our, you're, your cut and I thought I was on two rights. I was like, with the veterans already hanging out. Yeah. And then, like that day, I went to suit Sobeys and bought two boss ice cream sandwiches and ate them all. <laughs> oh, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, and then I think it took me four, like a decent time to actually get back to working out again. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, man, I thought I was going to like go to like play junior football that made attention university and then yeah. at least CFL. Like, I thought I had a shot at that. I'm like, nope. And then, Jeez. but now I'm looking back, I'm like, hey, like, 
may have wanted a whole bunch of brain damage. And, yeah. And maybe, hey, like maybe one day I could maybe be some sort of coach or whatever, maybe a sports analyst, right? So maybe that's sure. up down the road. So, but again, I know how it kind of feels, maybe not to a larger extent, if you put your whole life into something yeah. and then you're like, or yes, yeah, like, oh, no, we're not that you're looking for. And yeah, it happens with probably, probably acting and probably any profession. Oh, any profession, actually. Any job interviews, right? Like, you go for an interview, you get the call back and you say, sorry, but we're going to go with a different candidate. And well, I couldn't imagine it now because now it's like sending your resume. Yeah. And you don't get any interaction. Oh, man, that drives me nuts. Now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Dude. It's, it's, it's frustrating now. I hate the whole job application process. But yeah, going back to, to kind of the, how this mental health is just, um, being able to kind of deal with rejection, deal with the setbacks that life throws at you because everybody's going to have them, right? And do you think, um, with say some of, because I think again, humans go through ups and flows become sad. Yes. So sadness become happy, yeah. I think. And especially with uh, generations, we had a hard ass generation. I think with our parents grew up, it's like no complaining. Right. And then it's also a different period, you know, food wasn't as. Like, we didn't have as much food back then, like during the war times, right? Mm-hmm. They couldn't just go to a grocery store and grab whatever they wanted, yeah. when they wanted, right? So, yeah. again, but do you think the, how some parents are, the, or how a big percentage of parents raising kids where, um, if they're feeling some sort of way, they fix right away, you know, some sports cases. I know there's, a, I'm not sure how it is now, but in Ontario, they don't even count score. And, Children's soccer games anymore. There's, there's not even, I think they even took the ball away at one point or a thing because they want the kids to imagine they're winning. And, and I think we're just bringing it's like, I think it's like a pendulum. You know, one yeah. way to correct ourselves. Do you think that will kind of increase maybe some uh, the mental health issues where, you know, when we get into the real world, mm-hmm. we leave university or leave our homes and you don't get the job you want because they're not what you're looking for, but yeah. the whole life you're kind of told. It doesn't matter what people think. Right. So do you think that could also play um, like a, a huge part in increasing mental health issues as well? Yeah, like I think fundamentally people need to learn how to handle rejection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, if you bring up a kid in a society where they're always winning and they never have to hear the truth about themselves that, uh, you know, whatever effort they put forward is good enough or even if it's not much of an effort at all. Um, but yeah, people, people need to understand that, uh, life is going to throw rejection in their face and it's just the way it is. I mean, unless you want to live inside and never interact with anybody or, or take any risks or anything like that, you're going to have to deal with some form of rejection. And that was something that I could never handle. Um, I just had too high of expectations for myself. So, you know, whether that was a bad mark on a test or he's not working out with like a romantic partner or... Um, you know, for me, one of the, one of the things that really set me off was when I had to shut down my first startup and, uh, we were in the tech space and this was during the whole, uh, blockchain craze. So back in December of 2017, when Bitcoin was kind of going from, you know, a thousand, two thousand US dollars up to 20 grand US. And when you're involved in that space, which we were, we, I mean, our phone was blowing up constantly from like law firms and VCs and uh, potential partners and industry uh, developers and stuff like that. And, you know, you feel like you're on top of the world. And then, um, you know, we had people working for us at the time. We had three, three paid employees and uh, I just ran out of money and I couldn't raise the money externally. Um, unfortunately, at the time, the VCs that we were dealing with were only willing to put forward half of the required investment we needed. And we had to raise the other half. And my personal savings were depleted at the time. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to go to friends and family to raise that money. I just, I couldn't, 
live with myself if I lost her and the amount of money. So I shut everything down. And that's one of the things that really set me off. And it wasn't looking back at it. It wasn't really a failure. I mean, we never even got to market with our products. So we couldn't even determine whether it was a success or a failure. But when I had to lay them off, I just took all of that so personally. I internalized everything. And like, I just, you know, and that was another thing. I fell off the, fell off the cliff again and I was, I was right back into kind of the depression. And so, um, you know, I think, you know, you definitely have to learn how to deal with failure and help your ways then, um, beating yourself up over, over something that may or may not even be in your control. So, yeah, I, I guess, um, I don't like the direction that society is going in terms of like this whole everybody's learning thing because, um, it, you know, it, we are created equally. Like we're in, in, in a lot of ways we are, but we're all created with yeah. different abilities. Right? Exactly. You know, you put me in a room with like an artist and you tell me to paint. I can't paint. I've got no skills and like I, I just, I don't have that talent. Right. But in other areas, you know, like I can actually be sort of like a, uh, mentor to people and, and I have my areas of strength and like it's all about finding your little circle of competence and then sticking to that circle of competence and, and growing and developing as an individual and, and what you're good at and so um, but yeah just going back to this whole thing about rejection like and failure like uh, people people need to learn how to to deal with it and from a young age too I think 100% and yeah exactly I think more often than not I think people you want to win I remember uh, I was in the Playing uh, goalie indoor soccer, and I think we were playing the final against a team that beat us in the regular season mm-hmm. during this tournament, and we beat them. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was thinking about like the same trophies. I'm like, oh, this is bullshit. Like, <laughs> like all that effort for like the same thing. Like, well, like yeah. we don't at least feel like maybe a goal and you get a silver trophy. It's yeah. like, it, like the effort like that you thought you put in, right? Like, almost like you put it like. Well, I guess so we won, but we got the same reward. Yeah. Almost. So yeah, I think more people also now think we want to win, and again, like we have to go through the, the trial and errors earlier on. Like the parents should be able to say, like, hey, the reason why you lost is the team like they had a couple extra better people, or this happened. And you kind yeah. of explain yeah. that it's like okay, and then I think we're often not like then they want to win, they want to we want to kick the ball better or we want to score the goal and so I think they try harder the next time to win mm-hmm. but I think eventually if you know the score doesn't matter like why would you want, why would you want to try and yeah you win I think also to your points I think obviously the cost of living in certain parts of North America are just atrocious yeah so I think you do have to do whatever you need to do to survive pay the bills and you might be working shitty jobs. Yeah. So they goes I think it goes back to finding something that grounds you that you love regardless of what you do for a living. Mm-hmm. But I think also hopefully during this pandemic, one good thing I hope that came out is people hopefully found what they enjoy the most and maybe take a shot pursuing that. Like you mentioned, like you try a bit Bitcoin start blockchain start Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah. Um and at least you give it a shower. Most people just what if? Like, yeah, I exactly. would start right and Yeah. I think it also goes back to if you look on social media and we want to have um, the mansion. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think also, one aspect, like, even though Elon Musk is billionaire, he's probably stressed out as hell. Oh, yeah. Keeping two companies afloat with uh, COVID precautions. And it's like, so do you want that headache with the billions of dollars? Mm-hmm. Do you think? Most often, not. I think people have a perception of people want money or 
steal. I think there are people out there who are like that. Mm-hmm. I think karma comes and gets them eventually, but with more money, I think it becomes more headaches. Absolutely. It's not saying that if you broke, you can't pay the bills, it's not headaches, but like, yeah. so I think you have to find out what you like and then what's the lifestyle you want? I think, again, we all often compare, but it's like, I may not want to match it, but I still want a nice house. May yeah. not be 10,000 square feet. And do I want to live in the city? Like, yeah. that's for you. Like, maybe try moving on the country. Maybe it's a bigger drive, but yeah. it's like, what do you actually enjoy? And try to stick to that. And maybe you have to get a second job because maybe what you're doing that you want doesn't pay the bills. But mm-hmm. then you have to decide. It goes back to um, maybe a third party, like a therapist, uh, psychologist, psychiatrist yeah. to kind of identify things. But um, I think I mentioned in my last podcast, but it's like, the personal development space is kind of almost again has a stigma of uh, the positivity. But I think yeah. personal development, reading some of these good books, I might have a good book for you tomorrow. Okay. Um, it's called Breaking Healthy Yourself, but like it actually, this doctor like, actually breaks down what thoughts actually are and how mm-hmm. they stimulate us and whatnot. And I think reading good books or reading certain books, and I think just kind of more self aware would help us. Because I think um, if you know what triggers may make you sad, well then, even if you're clinically clinically depressed, in my opinion, if you're able to maybe understand your main thoughts better, or understand how you react to certain things better, what you like, what you don't like, mm-hmm. then you can be a bit more better off and kind of navigating through the same call life. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. It's uh, you know, like you gotta sometimes just have that one person in life or a couple people in life that are really there to help guide you mm-hmm. and that are going to have your best interest at heart too mm-hmm. right and so for a lot of people that would be their parents but in the event that you know um, you don't have a great relationship with your parents it's it could be a friend it could be an uncle it could be a grandparent it could be whoever mm-hmm. right just somebody there in your life to kind of grab you by the arm um, and pull you along when you need to be pulled along right and somebody that can just be that sort of non-judgmental um helpful supportive role model um that will you know when you kind of fall into the pitfalls of life which everybody will um they, they can help pull you up right percent and i also think uh, back to face of rejection i think we also need obviously the right person like someone that, that one honest friend who they know they love you but they're going to tell you like you're getting kind of bad yeah what's going on so yeah. Yeah. yeah so i have a friend like that and you feel like you're kind of chubby and like oh man yeah. <laughs> so like, but I think you need like at least one friend. Maybe yeah. Not, maybe not two. Probably just one. I'll see two. Yeah. But again, yeah. tell people who have no judgment to help you when you fall, and then also one friend like, "Hey, I know you're strong in this. Let's figure out together. Yeah. Let's go." So for sure. But then it goes back to yes, your life, what you want, yeah. where you're going, and well, and part of that man is just making yourself vulnerable, right? Like being willing to admit that you have a problem and that you can't make it on your own. Right, and just being able to open up to somebody—it's not an easy thing to do. Right, it, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of strength to be able to kind of pour your heart out to somebody and just let them know what your what your struggles are, what your weaknesses are, and kind of lay it all out on the table for somebody to actually look at it and say, "Okay, well, what you're dealing with isn't that bad. Like, let's let's get you some help." And um, you know, it just. And that was one of the things that I struggled with, man. It's like, I, like I said this before, um, but I internalized everything, right? And so I wasn't willing to admit that I needed help. And that's part of why it got as bad as it did, 
is because everything just compounds inside yourself. Mm-hmm. Everything brews, everything just like it's in this sort of, it like bubbles up from your core and takes over your entire body. And uh, yeah, like uh, for me, I became like a completely different person. Like my, my whole psychology changed. Man. I, I became a different person. Like it wasn't like a schoolyard bully in your head that's just like saying these horrible thoughts or like saying these horrible things to you. It's more like you fundamentally change as a person and the way you think changes and like the way you act changes around people and um, your thoughts change. And it's like, I almost had a hard time remembering events and people and stuff from like when I wasn't depressed and vice versa. Now that I'm kind of recovered, I have a hard time remembering what it was like to be depressed. Like, I feel like I'm talking about another person, a completely different person. It's weird. Like, I don't feel like I'm talking about myself. Like, I think everything that happened while I was going through those periods of depression, it wasn't me. It was something I never dealt with. Like, it's just, it's really weird, man. It's, yeah. I think there's something to that, like, with depression, I think also, I think particularly, maybe maybe more so in fighters, maybe boxing, like, Sometimes when someone gets in that ring, like they are a different person. You're not the mm-hmm. some people are like the friendliest person outside the ring, and as soon as they get into the, the ring or octagon, they're gonna beat the crap out of you. Oh yeah. I yeah. don't care, right? And, yeah. And get all that testosterone yeah. rolling and, and your adrenaline and that. like uh like uh Mike Tyson, for example, like yeah, he's, he's a pretty high. pretty nice like now he is. I'm pretty sure he probably wasn't a decent guy back then, but like inside mm-hmm. the ring, like he didn't care. He's gonna beat the crap out of you. Fight your ear off. Fight your ear off. I think his uh, his trainer though he was uh, also like a, his trainer based told him like there's no you. It's only the objective. Right. So like most of that big part. But uh, uh, by the way, have you seen Mike Tyson recently? Oh, his training videos are insane. Oh, and I want to find him today. Oh, uh, still has the same power and speed, man. That's it's insane. just honestly, man, he could probably take some of the best heavyweights today. Like you can Anthony Joshua, you can Tyson Fury, yeah. like. I don't know, man. You throw Tyson in the ring with them, and I think he'd stand a shot. The only thing that concerns me is his endurance. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, for it, sure. It's just the endurance. Like, I don't know if he could go 12 rounds with a guy like, you know, AJ or something like well, that. Probably not. Yeah. Did, did you hear about uh, what he said? Like, because uh, when he was first on the Joe Rogan show, um, like a year or so ago, yeah. he said he never worked out because, I guess, when they go back to different personalities, it stoked his ego. Yes. He's a different person. Yeah. And then yeah. now, he said, um, well, I think he quoted said, like, the gods of war are woken me. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm ready to go again. And then I think he said this upcoming fight with uh, Roy Jones Jr. Yeah. He called it a search and destroy. Oh, jeez. And oh, man. If, and again, like, he's a totally different person. Like, Joe Rogan said, um, he even said, like, a different person. Like, it wasn't talking to the same person. Like, yeah. at first, like, I met Mike Tyson, smoking weed, had a ranch, yeah. chill, didn't work out. And now, um, Joe said, like, you could feel the intensity, like, you said, like, now it's orgasmic. This one, yeah, it's orgasmic <laughs> to, yeah. to, like, hurt people. Yeah. And Joe's, like, he said, like, he got a bigger table because, like, there'd be, like, a wider table because, like, he was, like, <laughs> it's a different person. Like, it's, it's crazy. And again, it's, like, going back to the brain and, and it's a variety of things. Our childhood, different experiences, different simulations mm-hmm. can make us a different person. Like, uh, I could imagine being depressed and sad and, your different mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's interesting, man. Like I, I really compare it. So have you ever read the book, the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? No. So the, it, it was a little novella written by Robert Louis Stevenson back in the late 1800s. And it basically dealt with this upstanding good citizen named Henry Jekyll. He was a doctor. Um, 
and he worked in a legal, like a, he was a legal practitioner or something like that. But you know, he develops this concoction in his laboratory that allows him to uh, essentially separate um, what he believes existed in every human being, which was like the capacity for evil. And so he drinks this concoction and he becomes Edward Hyde. And Edward Hyde is like everything that is wrong with the world. Like he, uh, he's been witnessed like trampling people. He, he does commit a murder in the novella. But anyway, it's this whole kind of analysis of what is like purely good and purely evil. And the book doesn't have a happy ending. So for anybody who's like, um, very, I guess it's a little bit of a spoiler alert, but, um, Jekyll becomes kind of enamored with Hyde and protective of Hyde. And he, uh, originally, like he's able to kind of control. Hyde at first, like when he turns into Hyde, um, just by drinking this concoction, but then as the book progresses. So Hyde, so Hyde's evil, right? Hyde is evil, Jekyll is good. Yeah. So like whenever you hear like the expression Jekyll and Hyde, it's usually like all about, um, kind of duality and split Well, that almost kind of be, I guess, what people probably, uh, would understand more, um, almost like, Bruce Banner versus the Hulk. Versus the Hulk. Like, um, yeah. he's always the Hulk. You probably see the films. Yeah. Like, they actually talk to one another. And without being able to see everything, we have these two personalities, like, fighting for control. Like, he, he says, like, in the film, like, at first, like, I thought, like, at first, like, I had control. And, like, I thought, um, it's like, I always thought, like, we each had one hand on the wheel. Like, yeah. we each had control. Yeah. But he's like, that one movie, spoiler word, if you haven't seen the Avengers film, you should have already. <laughs> Um, but uh, um, he's like, I felt like he had complete control. Yeah. And could remember like, like how long has it been? He's like, it's, so you've been like that for three years. Three years. Like, yeah. So like, like that be like almost the same thing. Quality. Same idea, man. Same idea. Like, um, so you always felt like, yeah, like depression had a one hand wheel. And you felt like you had one hand wheel. It was almost like that. And then yeah, that period, actually, it just all takes over. And, and then you know they almost had both both hands on the wheel. So like, just going back to the Jekyll and Hyde book, like. Um, it wasn't, I don't think Stevenson intended it for it to be an analysis of like the human psyche, but, um, Jekyll ends up killing himself in the, at the end of the book and he writes uh, a long note that's eventually discovered by his, uh, his friends. Um, and he does it strictly to get rid of Hyde. And like, so when you kind of compare it to, to depression, like, at least for me, you know, you had this whole Jeff and Hyde split personality where, you know, like when you became Hyde, like when you became depressed, it just completely overtook you. You were a different person. And so for me, like you were almost ready to get to that point where you just, you just want to be at peace, right? You just want to be, um, free from that, you know, monster that's completely overtooken you. And so, you know, you start to understand why people, when they get to that spot in their life, um, do end up, you know, making an attempt on their life. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy now. Like sometimes, you know, people say there's other ways out. Well, when you're in it, man, there's no other way out. Yeah, look at, um, well, Robin Williams. Yeah. It's a classic example. And I think, uh, I think Tony Robbins, especially this, he, again, same thing, trying to make everyone else happy about himself. Mm. And yeah. had everything had a, a great, from what I saw, a great family, also. Accolades, one of the top actors in the world, yeah. money in the bank account, like everything you think yeah. someone would want to be happy and still thought the only way out was taking his own life. Well, and you look at uh, Jim Carrey said, I wish that everybody would be famous so they could see it's not the answer. Yeah. Right? Again, like, you have everything in the world material wise. Um, but, you know, sometimes, again, it's just 
uh, mental illness doesn't discriminate, right? It, it affects everybody. It affects rich, it affects poor, it affects black, it affects white. Like it just doesn't matter who you are, where you are in this world, man. You can you can be hit by it. Yeah, nobody's immune to it. Yeah, I think I think partially as well as um, life is so easy now. Like we want to, we know food's taken care of. Something mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. so we never like I think back like even like the people first came here and cultivated the land. Like you had to yeah. play off the animals and obviously the different um, other sellers here, maybe the rival nations and everything like that. And they probably didn't have time to think about like how they felt breaks at the right. grow the crops, make yeah. sure their family's taken care of. That's why they probably had 10 kids. We need to go work the land and then yeah. and not not as a bad thing. Like I would not trade our life for going back to the fourteen hundreds, especially yeah. the indoor plumbing. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think now life's Obviously, it's easier than you speak, so I have more time to sit and think. And obviously, with technology, it's constant stimulation, constant comparison. Where back then, I don't even care as much, right? So. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like you know, a while ago, um, or a while ago, like back, back in you know, you could go back to the founding of Canada. You know, like people had a purpose in life a lot of times, right? And a lot of times, that purpose was just getting married, raising a family, building life for yourself. And there wasn't this kind of fascination with um, you know, luxury and having something more. And, and I mean, I don't know, man. Like, I guess there's always been classes in society and stuff like that. And now supposedly we get more, um, opportunity to move up in classes and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think for, for, you know, I even look at my grandparents' generation and our parents' generation, like just sometimes enough was enough, right? And I know they, they asked, um, John Rockefeller one time, how much money someone needs to be happy? And his response was just a little more. <laughs> and so I think there's something to that, man. I think, I think there's something to that. Man. Like I, there, there's, there's gotta be this point where you just become content with what you have and who you are. And, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't really take a huge shift in your thinking to be content mm-hmm. and grateful for what you have and where you're at in life and to not think about, um, or you're comparing yourself to everybody else on social media and stuff like that. Hundred percent. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think I think I, I think that's a great point. Is um, and you should be happy where you're at. You should be grateful for what you have. And if you're someone, and it's, it's your own life, you know, mm-hmm. um, regardless of what social media is. If you want to, you know, be a school teacher and you know have a steady kind of income, steady kind of increase every sort every I'm not sure how often. Good pension and yeah. have a maybe not the million dollar lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Go for it. But if you're someone, hey, like you're ambitious, you want to build a business and you want to have millions of dollars, maybe I think more often than not, there's a decent amount of wealth of people who do donate. So if yeah. you want to give back, you know, you said you want to make a ton of money, so you want to give back. And I think money isn't a bad thing, you also need money to live. But again, right. it's going back to what you want. Um, I think give yourself grace for mistakes made. We always think we should be farther ahead than that as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Going for what you want, being happy, being grateful, being happy. And I think for me personally, like I'm someone I don't think I'll ever settle for where I'm at, but right. I'm always going to try to be happy where I'm at yeah. and grateful. And if for I sure. want more, if I want to achieve more, I'm going to do it. But then it's again, um, I think I've heard the term happy dissatisfied. I'd be right. happy where you're at, but then dissatisfied for just a little bit for wanting more. Yeah, exactly, man. Like you, it's it's good. Like ambition is a good thing, right? But it also can be unhealthy if you define your whole 
self-worth around the job title that you have or how much money you have in your bank account or your earthly possessions or anything like that, yeah. right? And I think that was one of the things I've always struggled with is that I was never enough for myself, right? And so I always wanted some form of external validation because I wasn't validating myself, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, like when you're constantly thinking that what you have and what you are isn't good enough for everybody around you, you constantly look at ways that you can um, kind of get ahead and uh, not, not get ahead so much as like just you're looking for validation from something other than yourself, mm-hmm. right? You're looking for the approval of your peers. So whether that's your group of friends, whether that's from a girl, whether that's from um, like uh, like your club on social media or something like that, right? You're just looking for that form of external validation because again, you don't, when you're not self-satisfied, you're you're still searching for that 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 sense of like, okay, I am actually enough, and like I am, uh, you know, enough of a person to be loved and validated, and, you know, all that stuff. So you know, it's it, for me anyway, like. Um, just especially in high school and university, I just felt like, you know, I wasn't enough of a, of a person to ever really truly be loved around me. And that's part of what made it so bad uh, was that I wasn't getting that internal validation for myself. And I wasn't getting a whole lot of external validation either because I wasn't putting myself out there and taking risks and, you know, challenging myself or pushing myself farther. So again, it just becomes, uh, I go back to this whole idea of just compounding negativity. Like that's, that's such a big part of it is that you um uh it's like one bad thing leads to another which leads to another and then it just um you're you're in a negative frame of mind so all you can think about is the negativity in your life and then your thoughts become more and more negative because of that and it just spiral out of control um or at least that's how it was for me and then so you mentioned that for about 18 i think you said 15 to 25 that's what you had like the major bouts of depression and yeah like, and then yeah that, and how's it been the past year from 25, 26 with uh, with uh, support from your, your obviously parents and obviously friends and mm-hmm. therapists and people in your corner? Yeah, well, I consider myself recovered now. Um, I think that's the first time in the last decade where I can, uh, you know, firmly say that I, I recovered from it. Um, but it definitely wasn't without its its valleys, man. Like it was, uh, there were some really really dark days. Like. Um, I haven't shared this story before, but I figured, you know, like I'm, I'm not really embarrassed by it anymore. I guess upset by it. Um, but I did have a plan. Like I, that's something that I lied to to the psychiatrist. Like I, I told them that I was experiencing suicidal thoughts, but I didn't tell them that I had a plan. But in fact, I did. And uh, there was one day that I was working at the Humane Society at the time. My job at the Humane Society was mostly just uh, working with the animals, so cleaning up after them, uh, socializing them. Um, you know, making sure that, that their areas were clean and that they food the whole work. So, uh, great job, man. Because, like, I'm a huge dog person. Yeah. So, like, I absolutely loved it there. But, um, I was having, like, a particularly bad day at the time. And, uh, like, just from the minute I woke up and, um, I was just exhausted and done. And I was like, this, like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I, I'm, like, I'm, I'm just done. Right. That's, that's the point I got to. I was just done. And so, um, I went and asked my boss if I could get off a little bit early because I knew if I was off, because I usually work till 4 p.m., I knew if I could get off at like 1.30 or 2 o'clock, I would have enough time to to go home and get home before my mom got home and um, ultimately like, you know, carry out the, the attempt. But um, that place, dude, never told me no for anything. 
ever. It was like, if I wanted to go for coffee, if I wanted to take a long lunch, if I wanted to get away from work for a doctor's appointment, if I wanted to change up like, what my job was for that day, they never told me no for anything. Oh. It was always like, yeah, yeah, go ahead and do it, man. Like they were, they were, they were great for accommodating any request that I ever had. But that day, um, when I went to my, to my supervisor and just said like, can I, I'm not feeling great. Can I get off early? They're like, just give us like 20 minutes and we'll get back to you. And, uh, they called me and they're like, uh, we actually need you to work late today. If you don't mind till, till five o'clock. That's the only time in like eight months of working there that they'd ever told me no to doing something. And so on that day, man, I was ready. I was ready to carry it out. And they like, I don't know, man. Um, it's, you know, I, I ended up having to stay late and I got home and my parents were home and obviously, you know, like can't really do anything then. So you wake up the next day and things are a little bit different. And, um, I don't know what you do. Like I just, I, I've had chances, but I never really, like the one time I was actually ready to carry it out, um, something intervened, someone intervened that. And, so yeah. it's like divine intervention source. Absolutely. Yeah, was it was it one of those times where uh, you mentioned what you did have your phone on you and there's a whole surge. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um right around that same time, uh I still remember the day now, it was September eleventh, twenty eighteen, and by far the worst day of my life. But uh I woke up and I went to my grandma's place for coffee and my cousin was there. Um she's four years old and she had a little one at the time. And both of them could tell something was wrong. Like I was just completely out of black. I was like, I'm pretty sure I almost fell asleep on the couch. Like I just, I couldn't keep my head up. Like, um, I was just having a really, really bad day. And so as we were leaving, it would have been about, I don't know, maybe noon. And so my cousin, she's like, if you ever want to, like, she's like, are you okay? Like, is everything okay? And I, I just kind of said to her, you know what? Like, I'm just having a bad day. And she's like, well, if you ever need to talk, like come over and, and we can chat. And so I said, you know what, like, are you free now? And she said, yeah. And so I'm like, okay. So we drive over to her place and uh, I get out of the car and I actually left my phone in my car. I never do this. I don't know why I did it, but I, I left the phone in the car and went into her house and we, we chatted for about two and a half, three hours maybe I was there for. And, you know, I really just, it was, she was one of the first people that I really opened up to about what I was going through. And, um, you know, we were just having a really, a really good conversation because, um, you know, she was able to kind of help me dissect my thoughts a little bit. And I was talking to her about what was going on in my life at the time. But while all this was going on, um, my mom was at home waiting for me to get back. And she had called my grandma and said, is Jason still at your house? And she said, no, she left, you know, a few hours ago. And so my mom, uh, you know, Rightfully so, it was starting to freak out a little bit because I, you know, here's her clinic we got suicidal son, he's not at home. So she's not sure his phone. And and of course, you know, she's texting me and calling me and I'm not answering the phone. And so she she called my dad, my dad comes home from work and my brother's there, and my grandma comes over. And so um anyways, they they called the police and the police are like, okay, well, can you get into any of his accounts that might be able to show where his location is? And, and my mom's like, no, I don't know any of his passwords. So they're trying to get onto like my email. They're trying to get on my Snapchat. They're trying to get on like anything that, that might be able to track my location. But the police like, okay, we can ping his phone. So what they do is they send a ping to the phone and it shows up on a map that I was like outside the city limits of Edmonton alongside like the river. So like, I mean, rightfully so. There's, so here's here's this suicidal kid shows up by a river, like you know, outside the city. Outside the city, 
And so there was a period probably for about two hours where they honestly thought I was, you know, like I was dead. And so I, I left my cousin's place and I didn't even check my phone. I just grabbed it from my dash and I put it in my pocket. And as I'm driving home, I pull into my block and there's like police cars in front of my house and my family's like outside and they're talking with the cops and everyone's, you know, like, I mean, they're a mess, right? And it was literally dude, like driving into what your own death scene would look like. Because I pull up and of course, you know, just the looks of relief and the tears. So you kind of saw like the impact of, if you would have. Yeah. Yeah, man. And I just like, I felt sick to my stomach and, and I'm like, man, I should have. And of course, then you start to beat yourself up over that too, because you're like, I should have called. I should have said something, but I wasn't thinking about it at the time. Man. Like that's just, um, you know, I wasn't thinking straight. I wasn't thinking rationally. I just was like, okay, I'm just going to go to my cousin's place now and chat with her. So anyway, yeah, there's, there's, there's a period where, um, you know, my family and, and, you know, a few of my friends at the time thought I was, I, I was dead. So yeah, dude, it was, uh, it was, it was a horrible experience, man. Like I would never want to go through anything like that again, but it was weird. You know, it was, it was really weird seeing what it would have been like if you had not been there. Right. And I, to this day, dude, I still can't figure out why. My phone came to that location. Yeah. Like I was in the, I was kind of at the city limits. Like my cousin lives kind of at the edge of the city, but nowhere near the river. Like I had shown up right beside it. And they're like, and I told the cops when I got there, I'm like, I've never, I, I was never anywhere near that location, like ever, I don't think, yeah. in my life. So I don't know how it or why that happened. But yeah, it was crazy now. But I think that, you know, again, looking back at all of this, um, that was kind of rock bottom for, for me. That day was definitely, you know, um, probably, like I said, it was always safe, but I think it was where I actually hit rock bottom. And uh, that's not to say I bounced off of it. I kind of stayed there for the next few months. But uh, that was kind of the start of um, kind of the second worst phase of my depression, the second, the first one being when I was gone again, or the second one being during that time period of, of late 2018, early 2019. And, um, yeah, so it was, uh, you know, looking back now, like, um, I think a lot of what happened had to happen mm-hmm. in order for me to fully admit that, uh, I needed help, right? That I, I couldn't have done it on my own, that I really needed, I needed help. So, uh, I think a lot of things that, that have happened over the last two years or three years, I guess, have happened for, for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't just, you know, I'm, I'm going through this without a purpose, you know, like, I, I guess you were able to find, looking back at it now, you're able to find meaning in your suffering, right? About why, why did I go through this and why did I go through it the way I went through it? And how is it going to impact me for the rest of my life? And so now I'm looking at it where it's like, if I can even help just one person, just one person, that's it. That's going through the same thing I went through. If I could just be even a small part of their, um, like recovery process, then everything would have been worth it. 100%. Right. The whole journey, that whole like nine, 10 years of, of dealing with it would have been worth it. Right, just one person. I think that's all. That's all you need. I think. So. I think with this, uh, I think with this, you definitely help at least uh, more than one person for sure. I hope so, man. That's and, and I guess, um, what are just some key things if someone is in that position currently, mm-hmm. 
or has been, who might be in? What are maybe some things you want them to know? Some things they, they should abhor, or maybe some services or help they should, I guess, research. So yeah. So I think the number one thing um, is just kind of swallowing your pride and making yourself vulnerable and ready to accept help. You have to be ready in, in the mindset to to accept outside help, right? So um, there, like I said, there's three things that really I think are key for getting out of a depressed um, or a, kind of a, a, a period of depression in their uh, therapy, medication, and your support network. It's really those three things. And um, your support network is huge because if you don't have that, you probably won't have one or two either, right? You won't have, you probably won't be going for therapy on your own. You probably won't be going on medication on your own. You kind of need that for me anyway. I needed that person to say, you're, you're not in an okay position. Go get help, right? And for me, that was my parents. Um, so yeah, if for, for somebody going through it, uh, definitely like, you don't have to go through it by yourself. Don't like if that's the worst thing you could possibly do. Don't go through it on your own. I think uh, if anyone is going through anything, you call get in touch with Nelson. Oh, you can help anyone. Absolutely. And that's how yeah. we met. Shout out to Nelson. Yeah, yeah. Um, just just reach out to anybody. They don't even have to have been there before. Like just just reach out to somebody. Right. Download your problems onto somebody else for a little bit. Just give yourself mm-hmm. some temporary relief. Right. And just allow people who love you and care about you to be able to help you in any way they can. And then eventually, you know, look towards professional help for sure. But, you know, if you're, and, and, and part of it is like, just if you're going through just a rough days in your life, you know, you're dealing with a death in the family or a job loss or something like that. Like just, just be willing to talk about your work, like your, your feelings and your emotions and how you're, how you're dealing with it. Like don't, don't internalize it. Don't let it like become such a huge part of your identity that you're almost like ready to let the depression overtake you. Mm-hmm. That was my problem is like the depression became such a huge part of my identity. I almost felt guilty for wanting to feel better because I felt like I wasn't being myself. Right. Uh, it's, it's a really weird thing that, but, um, yeah, like it, it's tough then because everybody's situation is different. So everybody's treatment plan is going to be different. Right. So I would say the number one thing though is just don't do it on your own. Like reach out, get help. Right. That that's that's the number one thing is just just reach out and get help from honestly at when you're first starting out, it doesn't matter who that's from. Just somebody that you love, somebody that you trust, just get help. So I understand. I think that's yeah. a perfect end of this podcast. I, so. I wanna I wanna appreciate thank you for being here, Jason. I appreciate the coffee and uh Hey, man, if you're ever on again, I look forward to another podcast with you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, cheers.